0: Hi KBT fans, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We just want to take a second here to tell you about our Patreon campaign. Support from our listeners is what allows us to keep making this podcast.
1: Because it turns out, making a podcast requires money.
0: So please, if you have a second, head over to patreon.com slash Talk where you'll find bonus content for contributors.
1: For our first bonus episode, we're doing a holiday special covering the 1999 Tom Cruise classic Magnolia, which, trust us, you do not want to miss.
0: So visit patreon.com slash Talk for details.
1: Can you believe that we've recorded five episodes of this so far? Well, we're recording the fifth one. That
0: is a little shocking.
1: I think it's great. Yes. Go commitment. (laughs) Okay. Where is she? She's by the door. Come here, Penny. Penny. Come here, Penny. Come on, buddy. Stop being a jerk. Come Come here.
0: All right, welcome to Kim and Billy Talk Mission Impossible. This week we are talking Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol from the year 2011. I'm Billy. And I'm Kim. And here we go. All right, so what's our agenda for today?
1: We are going to, first of all, talk about the movie that is just, it made. The Mission Impossible franchise.
0: Yes, if this movie did not exist, we would not be making this podcast. No,
1: we wouldn't be here today. Um, So we'll talk about... Like as a
0: people, we wouldn't (laughs) be here today.
1: No. Um, So we'll talk about where we left Tom Cruise off uh, in his career from our last episode to where he is now at this point in his career. Mm -hmm. We want to talk a little bit about Brad Bird and please just picture heart eye emojis all around that name as I say it. Mm -hmm. And then... The first time we saw it. Yep. And what we thought about it. Yeah. Or what we think about it.
0: All right. So we last left our hero, Mr. Tom Cruise, in the year two thousand When well, when was Mission Impossible Three? How have I already forgotten? This? I know. I this think was it was two thousand
1: two thousand six. Yes. Yeah. Two thousand six. Um we talked enough about his publicity blitz slash nightmare in yeah. two thousand five, which thus Forever is going to change how the world thinks about Tom Cruise. Um, what came next for him film-wise was to- 2007's Lions for Lambs.
0: Yeah, so this is what's interesting to me. In my memory, um, Mission Impossible 3 happened, and then he disappeared for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and basically his career was tanked until this movie. And going back and looking at it, I, I realized I had that like very wrong. He actually continued on a stretch for a little while. And then seems to have sort of,
1: yeah. And it's a bit of an awkward stretch. Like there is a very good movie in um his filmography between the these Mission Impossible movies, but
0: which one would that be? Are we talking about Valkyrie?
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm talking about Tropic Thunder. But there is a okay. lot to be said about yes, that. Movie. We're going to talk
0: about that, but it's also not a Tom Cruise movie, right? No,
1: like, it's not. But I, it's maybe the movie that saved Tom Cruise.
0: Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Okay. This is what I want to talk. So he does Lion for Lambs. No one sees it. It's whatever. Yeah, it's
1: I'd, good try, Robert Redford.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like <laughs> looking at the cast, it's three people I would really like to see in a room together acting. Yeah. Even though I think Redford, I've never seen this movie. I've not.
1: I, I just never wanted to.
0: Right. I mean, in general, I'm not crazy about... Uh, political movies that are offering political guidance on events that are still ongoing when the authors are not political scientists or historians or whatever.
1: Agreed, especially when it's, like, the the movie itself isn't really trying to be like a political polemic, it's like, this is an Oscar contender. Yes. This is an Oscar vehicle that these guys made.
0: Exactly. And my feeling at the time was, uh, you know what? Whether I'm going to agree with it or disagree with it, hello, Penny, official cat of the podcast.
1: Just being being a cat. She's
0: amped. She watched uh, Tom Cruise climb the Burj Khalifa. Now she's trying to climb your door.
1: <laughs> exactly, actually. <laughs>
0: um, but, but, but yes, I think where I was at was that whether I was going to agree with it, disagree with it, hate it, whatever, uh, I felt no need to go hear Tom Cruise's political opinions on anything after what he had just gone through. So, Lions for Lambs, skipped it.
1: And that's the most anyone has probably said about that movie <laughs> since, since it, it came, came out. out. Yep. <laughs> um, but then 2008 happens, and again, the movie that I think saves Tom Cruise's yeah. career, which is Tropic Thunder, uh, directed and I think written by Ben Stiller.
0: He definitely wrote it. I, did he also direct it?
1: Yep, he did. I just okay. checked
0: that. So, so I agree with you. I think this was one of the most brilliant moves Tom Cruise could have made. He was a laughingstock internationally, mm-hmm. and he sort of like turned into the skid. Right? He's like, all right, I'll play the butt of a joke in this movie. I'll, I'll dress up in a silly costume and let people laugh at me.
1: And I didn't realize that we were going to talk about Tropic Thunder today. Otherwise, I would have done a bit more research. But, well, dear listeners, wait until we actually get to that film and we Mm -hmm. dedicate an episode to it. But I can roughly say right now, I'm pretty sure that Tom Cruise's character was imagined by Tom Cruise. And if not imagined, then became that character through Tom Cruise's feedback. Okay.
0: Will you humor me? To go on my little aside about Tropic Thunder and Tom Cruise. Absolutely. Okay. So, so, so Tropic Thunder is a movie I feel perfectly meh about, and yet a movie I have talked about fairly nonstop since it came out because of Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise's turn as Les Grossman, who I should note, because I'm sure I'm going to do it right here. I often refer to as Lev Grossman, who is actually (laughs) the very talented,
1: author of uh, yeah. one of my favorite trilogies ever, The Magicians. <laughs> Everyone go read it and buy it. But it's it.
0: Les Grossman, right? That's character. Grossman, yeah. Okay. So on 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 uh, last week's episode, while trying to awkwardly defend my rather horrible impression of uh, John Reese Myers' uh, <laughs> Irish accent, <laughs> I referred to the fact that I am indeed uh, half Irish. My other half is Jewish. I, I have mm-hmm. the the same genetic makeup as uh, Harrison Ford. That somehow has gone radically different for the two of us, as far as face structure, body, and hairline goes. <laughs> is this is a
1: like a thing you've thought about? Like this often, is the first time I'm ever hearing it.
0: How you can take the same ingredients and come up with two very different products? Anyway, <laughs> but but so you know, as as uh, as someone who is Jewish, I've thought a lot about this Les Grossman character because fairly soon after it came out, there was uh, a lot of questions about whether this was an anti-Semitic joke by Tom Cruise. Because he is playing someone who is not only distinctly Jewish, but a Jewish member of the media elite, and he's playing him as a laughingstock. And I've been defending this performance for for many years. In fact, as you well know, I once went as Les Grossman for Halloween.
1: <laughs> yep. Um, there are pictures.
0: And so my thought on this has always been, yes, Tom Cruise is the performer of this joke, but the author of this joke is Ben Stiller. Who is Jewish and it is it, you know, when you put it in that context, it's very different when it is a member of the Target mm-hmm. making a joke about the Target, right? For the same reason that uh you know, people feel fine enjoying my big my big fat Greek wedding, but might not if it was written by I don't know, somebody from An Northern old, Ontario. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like white. Man, I don't know. You <laughs> old white man. <laughs> I
0: also thought that this was like somewhat of a necessary device in that movie because Ben Stiller is trying to navigate an incredibly complicated joke about Robert Downey Jr. being in blackface and people can debate back and forth whether that's effective or not. Yeah. But it it felt to me at the time kind of being like, no, look, I can play al- along too. I'm going to have someone else Im- impersonate my identity. And so I've often thought it was like pretty defensible, a pretty smart move for Cruz because it got him back in the conversation for something radically different. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I don't know how I feel about that joke anymore. It definitely has a different air to it uh, in our current geopolitical landscape.
1: I'll be honest. I don't think I've watched it since it first came out. I remember seeing it in theaters and I remember... Thinking, am, am I allowed to laugh at this? Sure, but I will say I have thought about the movie at least once a week since I've seen it because I'm pretty sure I've used the GIF of Robert Downey Jr. saying "survive" at least right. once a week since then.
0: <laughs> the other tough thing about the Les Grossman performance is that it is pretty clear that he is playing like okay, whoever he was channeling, whoever he thinks he was channeling, he's 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 playing Harvey Weinstein like in in physical image and in um, behavior don't... with coworkers.
1: I, I, I don't know authoritatively who he is channeling, but I always kind of thought that he was um, perioding the head of Paramount, the guy who basically oh, uh, held him responsible uh, for
0: bombing. Uh, what's his face? Mission
1: Impossible Three.
0: Oh, interesting. I don't know enough about that guy.
1: I don't know either. Hmm. Hmm.
0: Anyway, for me, it's always been Harvey Weinstein. Okay. And uh, now it just feels just it just feels like again. Can we laugh at this? Is this?
1: Well, here's the thing. I think we can, because even if Tom Cruise was drawing inspiration for his character from real life Hollywood producers that he maybe didn't like that much, he's also actively inviting the audience to laugh at him yeah. so they will like him again. Yeah. And the scene where he dances apparently was just Tom Cruise just doing his own thing. He, and He brought
0: that idea. He was like, yeah. Ben, I'm going to do it, but here's what you're going to do for me. Yeah. You're going to let me dance.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Make my hand smaller and let me dance.
0: I thought his hands were gigantic.
1: Or maybe they were gigantic. It's been a while, but I know he did something weird with the hands.
0: He has these giant catcher's mitts for hands. Okay. They're like disgusting to look at.
1: <laughs> well, that was Tom Cruise. That was his.
0: But so it's interesting. He he does this kind of comedic turn. People feel comfortable laughing at him. And then I feel from this point on, he is only allowed to be silly or heightened He will never go back to being a successful dramatic actor.
1: And he tries with Valkyrie. He tries many times. Totally backfires. Like I think it was the was it the German government who said you're not allowed to shoot this movie here because you're a member of a cult and that cult is Scientology.
0: Oh, I do not remember any of that.
1: I'm pretty sure that's the film where he was kept out of the country.
0: For Um, that reason? Yeah. Because they're also Oh okay.
1: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Again, I'm going to take this moment in the podcast, remind everyone that we are not investigative journalists,
0: <laughs> middling film, fans, middling
1: film fans. Um, I, I just don't want to the good court, people right? of Germany. Like. <laughs> um, and then have you seen Valkyrie? Again, I think I saw it when it came out. I didn't go to theaters. I think it was just one of those nights where my parents had rented it, and I was home visiting. I was like, "Sure, I'll watch this." And that's truly as much as I remember.
0: Pretty perfectly fine movie made by Brian Singer, about which do some googling. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, you know, feels like maybe should have been bigger than it was, and is evidence that like he's 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 still back on his heels. He's not. He's not.
1: Yeah. Like I think. Lions for Lambs, everyone ignores it. Tropic Thunder happens. People go, okay, we're laughing at Tom Cruise. And it wasn't just that movie. He did a skit with Ben Stiller at the MTV Movie Awards, if not the year that Tropic Thunder came out, then around that point anyways. And... You know, invited everyone to laugh at him. Them, so mm-hmm. people are laughing at Tom Cruise, but we still, as a people, don't know how we feel about Tom Cruise.
0: Yeah, it's like, are we laughing with or are we laughing at?
1: Yeah, and so then Valkyrie happens, kind of ignored. And Night then and day happens. Well, but then, like,
0: I think he takes a full year off, doesn't he? Yeah, he Which does. Which is weird because he's been like a, a pretty constant,
1: yeah, churning out guy. So. Tropic Thunder and Valkyrie are 2008. Mm-hmm. Night and Day doesn't come out until 2010, and it is by all counts terrible.
0: I've never seen it.
1: I rewatched it earlier this year, like while I was going through my Tom Cruise renaissance and yeah. thinking, did I like this movie? Because it has everything that I like about movies going for it. Like it's an action, romance, comedy. It's just not that good. So
0: am I correct in thinking that it's basically what if Ethan Hunt was in a romantic comedy?
1: Kind of, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then um
0: but just not good.
1: No, it's like they're trying. It's I would give it like a 5.5 5 out of 10. Like you can watch it's it and a passing be entertained. grade,
0: but you wouldn't <laughs> you wouldn't want to show it to your parents. No.
1: Yeah. Um and then we get 2011. And as you rightly pointed out, this is Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol is a 2011 film. But it was released in the last two weeks of December.
0: So I often think of this as a 2012 film. Yeah. So I, I remember reading the announcement for this. So basically, the way this goes for me, I don't see Lion for, Lions for Lambs. Uh, I see Tropic Thunder. Uh, I don't think I saw Valkyrie in theaters. I saw it eventually. I don't see Night and Day. So Tom Cruise has been off my radar mostly for a long, long time. And I remember reading the announcement they're making a new Mission Impossible, and it's called Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Mm. I remember just feeling, like, kind of sad in my stomach upon reading the announcement. Like, usually number four in a franchise is not particularly good. Mm. It's usually a bad sign when they're too embarrassed to keep the numbering system going. <laughs> and Ghost Protocol, it's funny, because now I hear the words Ghost Protocol, and I just immediately get excited. Yes, But at the time, I was like, well, that's, that, sound, that, sound, that sounds a little dumb. Right. So,
1: I don't remember at all the movie being announced, but I do remember the first time I saw the trailer for Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which is just Tom Cruise scaling the side of, God, I'm so bad with names, the Burj Khalifa. The,
0: the Burj Khalifa, yeah. So close. So close. So close. Burj Khalifa. Yes. So, so that, that's exactly right. I remember, um, I, I, I remember hearing the announcement being like, oh, that sounds bad. And then this trailer comes out, and the opening of the trailer is him in the car with Tom Wilkinson having the conversation we're going to get to that I love, where he's like, your mission is to assault me and Agent Brent and escape and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. (laughs) And then this like Eminem and Pink collaboration kicks in. (laughs) Two artists who at that time had about the same currency for me as did Tom Cruise. But it's kind of a great song. And it's just rapid cutting between like 40 different action scenes. To the point where I'm like, how do they fit all that in one movie? And then it, the trailer slows down again and it's the Burj Khalifa scene. And I was like, oh my God, do do, do I want to see Mission Impossible 4? I, I think I do. <laughs>
1: so I don't remember any of that. This is shocking, I'm sure. I, I
0: went back and rewatched the trailer. Okay, I, I had, so yeah.
1: I was going to say, the way I watched trailers at that time, because I was a really cool person with lots of um, f- cool, fun things to do, um, I would go to the apple.com slash trailer. Apple.com, yeah. Of course. And, yeah, and I then still I would just that. like make my way through all of them. Yes. Something I don't do anymore, which is why I don't know anything about movies. But, um, Yeah, all I remember is that scene, and I'm the kind of person that has always had, like, I respect heights, I'm not really scared of them, but am I going to put myself in a life-threatening situation? You have a hard limit on heights? Yeah, like, I can climb up whatever, I just need to be secure in some way, so if I'm wearing a harness or, but that scene made an impression on me. Fast forward to me in the theater, seeing it on the big screen, seeing it in IMAX, and going, oh my god.
0: So- Okay, before we talk about anything else, let's just talk about the IMAX of this. Because if there's one thing that makes me sad, it's that I can't re experience this movie. I know. In IMAX. So, what what was the first, like, narrative IMAX? Or, like, what was the first action movie IMAX film you saw?
1: In IMAX, probably The Dark Knight.
0: Right. Okay. So, I remember going to, like, I had seen other IMAX movies, you know, whatever, Everest or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dark Knight was the first, like, narrative film i had seen in imax and the opening scene where they are robbing the bank you know there's nothing that is so crazy staggering in the staging of those shots or or the locations where they are but something about using the imax cameras like yeah your stomach drops when they're like ziplining between the buildings and i was like oh this is the greatest thing that's ever happened i'm now in this forever
1: I still remember um, before the start of our Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol screening um, and like some poor 14-year-old yes, yes. Cinemplex kid no. coming out and being like, if you start feeling dizzy, just close your eyes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was going to
0: ask, did you see, when you saw Ghost Protocol in IMAX, did you see it with the Dark Knight Rises teaser at the beginning?
1: I honestly can't remember.
0: Okay. So I, I was so- just remember the so, pimply 14-year-old. <laughs> I was so into the Dark Knight, uh, which- is like the most basic thing about me at that time in my life. But like- (laughs) You weren't alone. For sure. So into that and so upset that I could not just rewatch this movie daily in IMAX that I was so pumped for The Dark Knight Rises. And they screened the opening scene to Dark Knight Rises, the the plane heist where Bane like Mm -hmm. flips a plane. They screened that before Ghost Protocol. So that's what convinced me to go- Ghost Protocol opening weekend. I went with my dad, really just to see the plane heist. Yeah, and I was like, whatever happens after that, I, I don't care. Mm-hmm. The opening scene to Dark Knight Rises is the best part of that movie. Watch that; it was great. I was mm-hmm. amped, and then I'm like, okay, I guess we can leave or stay may and as watch well stay this and other watch movie, go. and then watching Ghost Protocol in IMAX. I, I can count on one hand the number of experiences I've had in a movie theater that were as. Like the actual, this is the magic
1: of movies that everyone is talking about. Yeah. Probably the same. Actually, the last time I had that feeling was watching Fallout. We weren't in IMAX when we saw it, but it was still just this total, complete I can't believe what I'm seeing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So maybe we should pause now and give credit to the man who made this all possible, Mr. Brad Bird.
0: Let's do it.
1: First of all, just love him. Responsible for three of my favorite movies of all time. Let's get into it. So- first and top of that list. No, well, no, I don't want to rank them. They're all great. He he did The Iron Giant, The Incredibles. Yeah. And Ratatouille. Right. And I don't know if you could tell from the inflection there, but The Incredibles is a very important part I was about to say why are you life.
0: hesitating to rank? I know what your number 1 pick is. It's The Incredibles.
1: <laughs> the scene where Dash discovers that he can run on water and he just sort of laughs and then takes off. Like, oh, that is like one of my favorite movie scenes of all time.
0: Yeah. I I I I I have nothing to add to your exuberance here other than all three of those movies are wonderful and fantastic rewatches like you know i could watch each of those movies every single day in a row for like a year and it wouldn't
1: they'd all hold up yeah and clearly tom cruise had the same reaction so he specifically watches the incredibles and because he's tom cruise and he can just reach out to whoever he likes he reaches out to brad bird and says yo let's hang you're cool and then they just kind of talk about each other's work, what they like and respect about each other's work. And Tom Cruise says to him, hey, if you ever want to direct live action, please direct me.
0: And this is part of the legend of Tom Cruise, right? Is that uh, to the public, he seems like a fairly off-putting figure who will insert his politics where they don't belong and Mm -hmm. just be weird. But, you know, apparently if you're in a room with him, he is the
1: the nicest nicest guy in the world. And And so so supportive of young talent in Hollywood.
0: And, And so like, you know, If you get to the point of having coffee with Tom Cruise and he wants you to direct one of his movies, like, it's probably just going to happen. Yeah. But the interesting thing, right, is up until this point, Brad Bird's an animator. He's never done live action. And this is not a particularly simple, straightforward live action movie. Nope. But I think as we're going to get into this, the idea of getting a cartoonist to do this movie results in a fucking symphony like this thing is (laughs) yes the 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 cartoon sensibility that is applied to this uh, it 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 i it just makes me wish that people would make the jump between animation and live action more often
1: yeah and it's interesting because live and well live action and animation are obviously two incredibly different mediums but you with both you start out with a story in mind you start out with a script but in animation you can't be spontaneous. You have to plot out every single detail. And it's not like, you know, an animator can come up with an idea one day and say, oh, let's change this, because then you've just now changed the direction of the entire film. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you're shooting a live action film, that happens all the time where actors improvise, you just get on the fly ideas.
0: And, And, you know, there's no better example of how that can go wrong than John Carter of Mars, the director of that, another Pixar guy, Who's Can't say that I named, saw that movie because well, so,
1: everything about it was just so bad.
0: You'll find people defending it nowadays as like kind of a, a, a hidden masterpiece. What breaks my heart about John Carter is that it's, a, a, you know, another a, a Pixar guy, Andrew Stanton, who, you know, directed Finding Nemo, Wally, uh, A Bug's Life. Making the jump to live action it is written by Michael Shabon, who is my favorite author of all I didn't time. I did not know he wrote that. Yes, he is obsessed with that kind of um old school serialized storytelling. Well, he's, that doesn't
1: surprise me at all, but Yeah,
0: um and this had been a passion project for him and and he's he's written a lot uh, Michael Shabon, about, you know, his perceived failures in breaking into film. And frankly, I don't then even he has know. Feelings about <laughs> it. I don't even know. <laughs>
1: She thinks you're okay, Michael.
0: <laughs> she thought Telegraph Avenue was really a step in the wrong direction yeah. for him. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'd actually, I, I maybe am being more fair to him than I need to be out of love for him. I think you could probably just call him failures within Hollywood. He's had a lot of projects that have failed to start or, um, once he's actually been removed from, you know, famously, he did a pass on Spider-Man too. What? And yeah, so you're die, blowing my mind. diehard fans of his give him credit for that movie being great and he's been very open and generous in interviews about being like yeah if you like a lot of the ideas in that movie they weren't really mine my ideas were this and they don't sound
1: (laughs) As good.
0: As good. <laughs> he It was, it was more... Okay, okay, I have to save my Michael on Spider-Man 2 talk for okay. a later date. Yeah, I have when we more get thought. to the
1: Spider-Man movies.
0: But Andrew Stanton, when faced with the rather colossal failure that was John Carter of Mars, talked about exactly what you're talking about. Like, he came from a certain style of storytelling, which was animation with this, like, locked, fixed narrative. And then when he got onto... This gigantic, unwieldy live action beast of John Carter—it it just he couldn't—he couldn't make it work, and it—and it comes out feeling not good.
1: So I wonder then what it was that made Brad Bird successful.
0: Because this sounds even more unwieldy and more Like, it sounds like they basically (laughs) did not have a script. Every scene, they were just like, I don't know, what do you want to do? Like, let's just...
1: Well, there was a lot of back and forth between Tom Cruise and Brad Bird as this movie was being made. So I I think maybe the magical (laughs) ingredient here was Tom Cruise. He knows how to make good movies.
0: The other thing I think is that This movie understands that the plot is not what people are for. There basically is like one shred of plot. If you try to follow it, there are more gaps in this movie than many, maybe any other in the series. But you don't care. You You don't care. They understand that this is about stunts and action spectacular.
1: And actually, I think they finally get the team right in this movie. So you care about the team. It's not just like Ethan Hunt with people, filler people in the background,
0: I really like this team. Um, obviously I am bummed that Luther does not get quite the no, uh, the presence he deserves. However, in we this We do movie, have a
1: very quick specific answer to where a, he's sitting. There's a
0: little bit of like absence makes the heart grow fonder here. So that when he does show up, I'm like. Luther. Nailed it. Yeah. Um, I'm not crazy about Paula Patton's character. But we can get into that. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm not really crazy about Brandt, but you're right that having them interact the way they do, it feels like a real team that knows each other, maybe for the first time since the very opening scenes of Mission Impossible one.
1: Exactly. They are imperfect people working perfectly together nailed it <laughs> <laughs> i should write that down that was like, no we recorded it there yeah it's Podcast we have for it for the posterity
0: <laughs> but so yeah you get this weird 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 mishmash of a movie happening where you have this once top of the field star who is faded and looking for a comeback you have an expert animator who is making his first live action movie and then thrown into the mix do you want to talk about the script and the writers?
1: Yes, I do, because it will impact, I think, our discussion about Mission Impossible 5 and Mission Impossible 6. Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, we should establish that JJ Abrams was asked to come back for mm-hmm. Ghost Protocol. But he was busy, I think, making Super 8? Or yeah. he just had some other yeah, commitment. It was, it was Super 8. But he loved the movies. He loved working with Tom. So he stays on as producer, yeah. which is why this is the first Mission Impossible movie produced not by um, Cruise Wagner Productions. Well, it's No, go ahead.
0: Sorry, I was, I was going to ask you. Do you feel the way I feel that up to this point in the series, 3 and 4 feel the most similar of the 4? Like one seems like its own thing, two seems like its own mm-hmm. thing. Three and four feel like they share a little more DNA.: You
1: Agree know what? I think disagree? you're actually dead right about that because this is the first like Ghost Protocol is the first Mission Impossible movie too, where it's cognizant of the previous movies. Yeah, like it, we're it ma- actually we're callbacks: Yeah, there's callbacks. they tie threat, tie up loose threads. And um, yeah, I think that is the influence of J.J. staying on board. And that becomes even more pronounced um, through the screenwriter. So the actual screenwriters are Josh Applebaum and Andre Nemec.
0: And so confirm or deny here, but the kind of Hollywood legend I've always heard here is that their script was going to transfer the lead of the Mission Impossible franchise from Ethan Hunt to a new character. This was going to be like the torch passing. To Brandt. True Brant, Jeremy Renner. Other people who had been up for that role were Anthony Mackie, uh, Chris Pine,
1: Tom, Tom Hardy. Hardy. Yeah. yeah,
0: all people I, all all people I really really like. Yes. Yeah. Um,
1: so. I don't know if it was like an immediate, like the next movie would be led by Brandt. Um, but it was, hey, we're recognizing that this is a franchise that we do want to keep investing money in. And Tom Cruise is an aging human being. So. Right. So,
0: okay. So how old is he when he makes this movie?
1: Oh, I don't know off the top of my head, but he's definitely in his 40s. Because
0: this is what is hilarious to remember that at the time people were like, Tom Cruise is in his 40s. He can't keep making these movies. <laughs> And now here we two are two He's movies. He's forty-nine. Later,
1: He's forty-nine when this movie comes right. out.
0: Okay. So now two movies later, the man shows no sign of stopping.
1: <laughs> it's that Scientology
0: <laughs> really, really runs remarkable. through his veins. But but I think there is something you can kind of feel in the weird mishmash script here of like, um, we don't have a lot of access to Ethan as our protagonist. Like, there are secrets about him and motivations about him that we're not going to learn until the very end of our movie. Mm -hmm. Whereas the other characters, we're given a lot more access to.
1: Agreed. Completely agreed. And I think this is actually the movie where Ethan Hunt becomes the Ethan Hunt that he remains for the rest of the film. Like, in the first one, he's just sort of, like, generic action star. In the second, Mission Impossible, he's a romantic romantic hero i guess and the third one he's just super intense
0: yeah and 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 like i think what i like about four five six is that ethan becomes a little more of like a work nerd Mm -hmm. right and how do i say this delicately like a little bit of a creeper like his um romantic entanglements are a little more complicated and difficult to suss out like
1: All right. Well, I think we should definitely talk about that.
0: I'll I'll make my case later on.
1: (laughs) But we have to, um, we didn't actually talk about like the most interesting thing about this screenplay, um, which is the fact that Christopher McQuarrie does an uncredited rewrite of Ghost Protocol. And Christopher McQuarrie, for those of you who don't know, is the director of Mission Impossible Rogue Nation and the only repeat director in this series. He did Fallout as well
0: because I believe he was brought in on Valkyrie and then Tom Cruise fell in love with him and he's been like Tom Cruise's man ever since. He had been one of the usual suspects writers. So he like broke onto the scene with this.
1: So you're actually completely right. He, uh, I think Valkyrie is where they first touch base. Um, And then he goes on to write and direct Jack Reacher, obviously the Mission Impossibles, and he co-wrote the screenplays for Valkyrie as established Edge of Tomorrow and The Mummy.
0: So there you go. He's Tom Cruise's Their guy for, for better or worse. You named three or four great movies and... Uh, <laughs> Two oh, lesser yeah. ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so he becomes he becomes part of like the rebuild Tom Cruise movement. Uh, for whatever reason, Tom Cruise feels really, really comfortable with this guy. And this is a guy who really, really understands what people want to see out of Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm.
1: To great success, he understands it. Yeah. So... Um, Okay. So we now have a script which rightfully puts Tom Cruise back as the as the hero of the Mission Impossible movies. Thank you Christopher Macquarie.
0: Which which they're making up on the fly though, like to be clear. They are shooting without a full complete script.
1: Yes, which kind of makes it all the more exciting. And so. works
0: weirdly with like the pacing of this frantic movie.
1: And the pacing is established right from scene 1, which is actually I think one of my favorite openings of all time not just in this franchise mm-hmm. it's it's extended and it's like two parts really but the okay so let's just let's just get into it opening shot
0: scene one we are not with Ethan for we the are first in time.
1: Budapest
0: we are in Budapest and we are not following Ethan, Ethan. we are following Sawyer. Agent Hanaway.
1: Agent Hanaway, yeah
0: <laughs> Sawyer and watching this again so I've watched this movie many many times since it came out but it's been um, at least a couple of years since I saw it last um and just filled me with good feelings to see yes. Josh Holloway on screen again. What a charismatic son of a gun. That He's guy. He's so good.
1: He's so good. And the scene where, and I'm sorry, I know I'm stealing your thunder a little bit here because I think it's one of your favorite gadgets of all time. So actually, I'll set it up for you. One of the best scenes in the movie happens in the first few minutes. It's when-
0: We're on a rooftop. Door a- bursts open. Sawyer is running away from armed bad guys. Yep. Yeah. Jumps off the roof does a very cool move he's he's falling like chest first we see him throw something towards the ground like a little pill yep he somehow rotates in midair as he's falling backwards now
1: continues shooting the
0: two guys whatever he threw on the ground goes and explodes into like a big
1: <laughs> bouncy castle
0: or something <laughs> that catches his fall not gonna hide it gonna say it right now gadget of the movie for me <laughs> oh, like this is the one gadget I would want most in my life. Like you know, you're,
1: inflatable. You're trying candle. to get to
0: work and rush hour. You just open the window, just poof, <laughs> right. Like you don't have to wait for an elevator. I just love the way it works. The mechanics of it. It's it's so silly. It's so silly, and I love it so effective.
1: much. So he lands on it and he walks away and he checks to make sure he has these confidential files in his bag. Yeah. We don't know what the files are, but we know they're obviously important. And um, we should also point out that he has been tracking this guy through uh, contact. Like, Yeah,
0: so it's weird. We're going to get the second half of what is going on on this mission like 10 minutes later after Ethan meets up with Jane. Mm-hmm. So we can kind of put it all together. Basically, Hanaway has been Hannaway is trying to intercept a delivery of nuclear launch codes from one bad guy to another get bad guy. Yeah. He gets them. He escapes by jumping off the thing. And then, yes, he's wearing a high-tech, uh, what, what do you call Spy it? Spy contact lens. Contact
1: lens which, alert, which scans faces and alerts him to the fact that an uh, infamous assassin is walking towards him. He only has a split second to process this, though, before he gets shot. So, left for dead. So
0: here's something I'm going to start with. Th- this movie, I think, is very funny and very wise about how bad all this spy technology is. Like, it keeps breaking. And so it sort of prevents you from, like, criticizing the silly plot mechanics. But this is a terrible spy device.
1: <laughs> the eye contact?
0: <laughs> well, because the contact... Uh, recognizes killers but then it sends a text to your phone so you have to take your eye off the killer and pick up your phone
1: you present a very valid point like
0: it should like it should just flo- you should it get should a message shoot
1: a laser out of the content right <laughs>
0: Or he should just gets some message that says "run" or something. Yeah. I don't know, but anyway, it feels like he gets shot because he looks at his phone. Right, that gives yeah. her the chance to get the drop on him.
1: Yeah, and this is Sabine Moreau,
0: played by Leia Seydoux. Yes, uh, and then she gets she the gets the files. launch codes. She,
1: yep, and that's what they are. They are nuclear launch codes. Yeah, um, and then we cut to one of our, again one of the best scenes I think in movie dumb, which is a prison in Russia. And it's we just see Ethan Hunt casually flinging a rock across some walls, playing yeah, catch with himself.
0: He's doing the old uh, Steve McQueen from The Great Escape, just bouncing a rock against a wall. Yep, uh, seems very common collective collected for what looks like a horrible existence.
1: <laughs> and then cut to what is clearly some sort of res- uh, rescue mission underway, led by Benji and Benji a new-
0: Benji Dunn. They keep calling him Dunn in this movie like cuz you know how everybody else gets called by their last name yeah. like agent branch or agent whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm like he's not done. His name is Benji. <laughs> and I think <laughs> Ethan is the only one who keeps calling him Benji, which is which I like.
1: <laughs> endearing, yes. So Benji and Agent Carter who we haven't met before but is clearly a good person who's yeah. working with Benji, um are breaking into this prison. And here's the thing, like Billy and I actually talked about this before we started recording. There's actually just so much that goes on in these scenes. We can't break them all down. We'll be here for far longer than the film actually is.
0: And the other thing about them, I, I think this movie would work perfectly as a silent film. Like, yeah. there's, there's very little dialogue here. It is all about motion and movement. And yes. Like, I would love to see someone re-edit this as a silent film. Because like we see, you know, for example, Ethan Ethan gets out of his room and is not going to the extraction point, right?
1: No. He has a silent conversation with Benji. Right.
0: And they manage to very effectively communicate with each other through like so a closed circuit TV. But uh, that's
1: the other thing. It's funny to watch them do that. And so while yes, I agree, there should be an art house exclusive Blu-ray DVD available for $70, which is this movie as a silent <laughs> film. But it's also, I think, the first real like Comedy. Funny one, yes, yeah.
0: agreed, agreed, and especially, like, I, I had forgotten how serious the first two movies in this series are, and to to go from Mission Impossible 1 to this one, these are radically different worlds.
1: Fundamentally different, yeah. yeah. So, like, I don't know how to properly express my love for this scene where Ethan, with the help of Agent Carter and Benji, as he henceforth shall be known. Yeah. Um, disregards their their mission for him, which is for him just to immediately escape, and this yeah. is happening by Benji releasing. The prisoners. And I'm sorry, but I I have to talk about this one scene where Benji's releasing the prisoners who start attacking the guards, and its it shouldn't be funny. It's horribly violent. And I had this thought where, that's actually really awful, these prisoners beating these guards. And then you cut to Benji, who kind of does a grimace and goes, sorry.
0: Well, not to mention, what's the song they're playing?
1: (laughs) Well, that comes on a little bit after. And when it happens, it just takes this moment of (laughs) <laughs> it becomes <laughs> sublime chaos.
0: Aiming a kick in the head as they're kicking yes, the guard in the Dean head. Martin. <laughs> it gets very literal.
1: It's so fun and classy and just.
0: But so yeah, the plan is they're going to free all the prisoners who are standing between Ethan and the guards, right? So that yeah. the guards aren't going to be able to get to Ethan. So Ethan will have a clear path. But Ethan decides he's going to turn around and go through the prison riot.
1: Yes, to rescue a friend. Bogdan. Bogdan, who yeah. thinks Ethan is Sergey. Yes, Sergey. Yes, Sergey.
0: Um, <laughs> and so yeah, he he fights his way through pretty brutally to yep. get Sergey, or excuse me, to get Bogdan.
1: And there are such funny comedic moments in the scene. And honestly, I've watched this movie countless times, but every time I watch it, I pick up on something new. And there's the the last time I watched it, which was actually last night at your place with mm-hmm. you and your fiance. Um. I never noticed this before, but Ethan sort of has like a standoff moment where he's edging to get by one of the prison cells, and this huge guy hulking like guy tall, yeah. looks down at him, and Ethan is just like, "eh," and just decides to release the doors to let all the prisoners out, and yeah. they just run, and it's so well constructed.
0: Yeah, it's just it's very funny. A lot of people get beat up. He gets Bogdan out of the prison and meets up with uh, Agent Carter, Carter and, uh, who. Benji.
1: St- uh, gets them out of the prison by exploding a weird hole. It's, yeah, it's like a
0: sonic cannon or something that dissolves rock. Yeah. It's, it's a, this this is a very um, sci-fi kind of super gadgety. Like I said last week's movie was the gadgetiest we've seen so far. This one is really, really out there. Yeah, with the tech, and I and I also I just think it's 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 going through for like a much pulpier, old school kind of spy tale that I really like that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's, it's, um, you can see how it would come from someone who's an animator, but like, you know, you, you look at mission impossible one and it's all about, you know, um, message boards, hiding arms dealers and blah, blah, blah. Whereas this is like a real cold war kind of, we have nuclear launch codes that's going from one spy to another. We're going to intercept them. It's very like campy. And
1: I actually made a note about that where, you know, in every movie, that we've seen so far in this franchise, like, obviously there's a threat. In the first one, it's a bit convoluted. In the second one, it's sort of almost comically simple. Mm -hmm. In the third one, it's, you don't know what the threat is, but you do know that Philip Seymour Hoffman is evil. Yeah. And in this one, it's, no, word. now this is, we've entered full spy genre. It's nuclear launch codes. And this is
0: like the most anonymous bad guy with, to call his plan cliched is beyond, like, it's, it's something else. It's like, it, it, his plan is he wants to launch a nuclear weapon at the U.S.
1: He's a Russian madman, oh. and, and he's trying to start a nuclear war. Yeah, yeah.
0: So it it it's so clearly the movie saying like don't even worry about this. Yeah, it's not important. Pay attention to and actually, here's a good time to bring this up because mm-hmm. I feel like you're gonna have thoughts on this. Is
1: this Ethan's? Best haircut so far. I did make a note about this. I wanted to bring back the haircut. Um, I still think his hair in Mission Impossible Two is the best. It's Madness. the most.
0: I don't know what luscious. You're about. It's the
1: most. It's longer. That's what it is.
0: This is perfect. It's still long. It's not quite so wavy. It doesn't look like he has had to stop every 15 minutes to reapply product. (laughs) So
1: let's clarify your question here. Like, aesthetically, I prefer the hair in the second film. But functionally, I think he's hit the perfect balance of handsome movie star and real spy hero. Here he's basically doing the Vanilla (laughs)
0: Sky haircut, which is also a pretty good haircut. Anyway... For 49, it looks fantastic.
1: It really, really does. Well done, Tom Cruise. And I guess Tom Cruise's stylist, whoever that magical person is. Yes. So, um, so Ethan and uh, Bogdan have been rescued by Agent Carter. They- Bogdan
0: is immediately transferred to like some other IMF team who's yeah. going to get Him to safety, I we, do and we wanna, know nothing about him,
1: nothing, yeah. Um, but that's okay for now. I yes. did want to touch on the fact that Ethan has never met Agent Carter before, and he's a little bit cold he's towards her. A
0: dick! I wrote that down. He's he's a because she says something to the effect, he's like, Why did you break me out? and she goes, We need your help. We've lost nuclear launch codes to COBOL. cobalt. Cobalt, mm-hmm. by the way, is the code name of the bad guy, yeah. And he goes, Who lost them? You lost them,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And and yeah, you get the. This is a very different Ethan from the guy we've seen before. He he is very cold, very all about the job. Yes. Kind of doesn't really care about other people's feelings.
1: And I mean, like to the film's credit, we do get some sort of explanation as to why Ethan is so cold towards new people.
0: Yes, because, because now Benji starts me- uh, mentioning rumors mm-hmm. uh, because we don't understand why Ethan has been in jail. But according to Carter and Benji... It seems to be that he was actually imprisoned for doing something bad.
1: For murdering six people who we can surmise are perhaps responsible for the death of his wife, who right. is now absent from the film.
0: Right. Now, at this point, they don't know that his wife is dead. Benji thinks she just left him and then he yeah. went on a killing spree. Yeah. But, but yes, there's all sorts of rumors going around IMF about um, what happened to Ethan. So as far as we, the audience, know... Ethan has snapped at some point between number 3 and Ghost Protocol and we're seeing this kind of manifest in him being a real jerk.
1: Yes, but doesn't matter, they have a mission and they're going to work together and their mission at this so well, actually, we should mention how he gets the mission because this is a nice little detail in the movie that I like. little foreshadowing, yeah. Yeah, so um, they go to a phone booth, mm-hmm. which is like an old Russian phone booth, and Ethan enters a code, and the code is his birthday for those inquiring fans. Uh, it's like 07362. It's maybe weird that I remembered that. I was about to say, I like how you're <laughs> pretending
0: like you're struggling to remember that when you clearly have that memorized.
1: <laughs> I really hope that's right. We should actually fact check. Fact check that. But he gets the mission, and he hears the, this message will self... well. And the mission is to break into the Kremlin and gain more information on Cobalt, essentially. Cobalt,
0: the guy who is trying to buy the nuclear launch codes off Leia Satu.
1: Yeah. And so the, the information that they have to gain is, is some sort of like newsreel or file. Whatever. It doesn't matter. They just have to break into the Kremlin. And um, as Ethan walks away, he hears that this message will self-destruct in 5, 4. He walks away. One hits... Nothing happens. Yeah. Ethan turns around somewhat like, what? Walks back, hits the... Uh, yeah, hits like Fonzie in. with the jukebox. <laughs> and it goes
0: poof. Yeah. And so, nice little bit of foreshadowing here. No technology they try to use on this mission is going to work. Yeah. Every single one is going to break. <laughs> there is there is one other detail I want to mention because uh, it's not it's actually not important to the movie in any way, shape, or form, but you can see... If if you really go looking, you can see threads of these earlier scripts and see things they might have been trying to build towards and and if you wanted to be critical, you can see some like missed opportunities here. Mm. But we learned that Carter was in a in a relationship with Agent Hannaway Sawyer. And so she is mourning the death of of Hannaway on the job and is really, really motivated to go take out uh what what's Leia Sedu's character's name?
1: Uh Sophie Monroe or something. Sabine Sabine. M- Sabine Moreau that's okay. what it is. Um and like the other point to mention there is Sabine didn't outright kill Sawyer. I'm just going to keep calling him Sawyer cuz he's sure, Sawyer to me. Not? She left him to die and so Agent Jane Carter comes and watches yeah, him die in they, front they of her. Nice little and he says, "You're so beautiful" or something like that before he croaks.
0: Wouldn't work with a lot of other performers no.
1: but <laughs> with Sawyer like Sawyer that. Mm. Yeah.
0: He makes it work. <laughs>
1: What is it that he calls Kate in Freckles? Los- Freckles. 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 Yeah. Right. They all
0: get nicknames, <laughs> some of them much nicer than others.
1: Only he could get away with that.
0: Yeah. All right. But so, yeah, now they have this mission, which is break into the Kremlin. And um, I... I really like where the movie starts going here. So, so, so Ethan and Benji are going to be the on the ground members of the team, sneaking into the Kremlin, mm-hmm. and Carter is going to be running kind of the tech and stuff surveillance from the outside.
1: And like and, from the beginning of that scene, you've already got like this is their mission, and so it is serious and it is exciting, but they're also having so much fun.
0: And so. The, Michael Giacchino is back this time to do the score and I, I like this score a lot better and he's doing this kind of... He did do the score of the third one, by the way. Just to yes, confirm he's, that, he's, yeah. Okay, yeah, so he's, so he's back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and he's doing something as they're walking into the Kremlin that the only way I can describe it is it made me think of Star Wars and like Han and Luke sneaking in as, as stormtroopers. Just there's there's this very like... It's supposed to be scary, but it's also just fun and playful thing on the score that it it just gave me like, this is exactly the type of adventure movie I I am there for.
1: Yes. And like visually, it's all there. You've got the red balloon floating um, through the Kremlin, which is an obvious, well, maybe not obvious in the moment, but once you see it the second time to the 99 Red Luff Balloon song. And then visually as well, Tom Cruise kind of looks a bit ridiculous. He's not wearing a mask. He's just wearing, Which is like,
0: really upsetting Benji. Benji. Benji really wants to be wearing a mask.
1: And, like, that's why, like, while well, I, again, would probably buy that $70 Blu-ray, which is this movie as a silent film, you would miss out on this dialogue where Benji is babbling because he's nervous, something I can relate to, and yep. it's hilarious. Benji has
0: been promoted to field agent, and he has a nice exchange with Ethan where he's like, I passed the field exam. Crazy, isn't it? <laughs> Ethan kind of looks away. Yeah. And yes, he's he's so nervous that he's... And, and again, another sign of like, this ship would not fly in Mission Impossible 1. I feel like John Boyd would take you out back and smack you with a telephone book if you were like (laughs) you know, babbling on a mission. But here it works, and it's very, very funny.
1: And it plays through the entire scene and this is my favorite gadget of the movie because, and it's not just because of the gadget itself, it's because it's tied to one of my favorite moments of the movie which is they get a weird little projector stand with an iPad to basically mirror a hallway so they can sneak towards a reception desk Mm -hmm. in order to break in and steal some files, but as they sneak towards the reception desk, there is a screen projected which is tracking the guard's eyesight. Eyes, yeah, yeah so, so, so like
0: presumably it can give you the right depth or whatever. So exactly. It doesn't,
1: yeah. So every time they move the screen and the projection closer to the desk, all the guard sees is the hallway, which is being projected to his eye level. And it's not so much that I think the gadget is impressive. It is the dialogue, the silent dialogue that goes on between Benji well, yeah, and Ethan the, while this is the happening. The gadget is
0: actually ridiculously goofy. Yeah. And- impossible but yes the way they are having their back and forth and again this goes to this whole thing of like it just it plays like a silent movie it plays almost like a Bugs Bunny cartoon you know what I mean like it's just
1: I was actually thinking about this I don't have a favorite line in this movie because I have a favorite moment and Mm -hmm. my favorite moment is when Benji picks up the iPad and is looking and studying the iPad and accidentally stands right in front of the camera so all of a sudden it's just his face his projected. like 12 foot tall
0: face <laughs> is guess. floating in the middle of the hallway
1: and as our security guard slowly starts to turn back towards the hallway you see tom cruise's hand just like punch benji's head out of the way
0: <laughs> they're, they're and also, then
1: immediately it's a shot of the two of them frozen in horror as they realize what almost just happened
0: it's also they're using another really cool gadget with it which is this like sound projector oh yeah gun. the weird
1: like water droplet you click it in. And it makes
0: a water droplet sound yeah. if you're like 50 feet away from you.
1: Which would probably be a great way to gaslight someone. Oh, <laughs> just
0: for <to> sure.
1: <laughs> make them feel like they were going insane. Right.
0: <laughs> but so, yes, they, they narrowly avoid being spotted by uh, this Kremlin guard. Ethan gets into the archive room where he's supposed to be, and gets the Cobalt file. It's empty. The files empty. are gone and as he goes to alert people over the walkie-talkie, someone else's voice cuts in.
1: Someone has piggybacked onto their frequency and is making it seem as though he's taking orders from Ethan Hunt.
0: Team leader, go for detonation? And yes. Ethan's going, "Who who is this?"
1: And you get Paula Patton, "I'm sorry, Agent Jane Carter." <laughs> and Benji going, "Oh no, something we're being framed." Everyone realizes that something horrible is about to happen, and so it's mission abort. They got to get out of there. Yep.
0: Uh, and so they, they do a very hasty escape with <laughs> Ethan. Ethan has, it's so silly, but I love it so much. Ethan's entire outfit
1: is reversible. <laughs> is convertible.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so the stripes on his military pants he just, just fall them off. off. Yeah. His, and I don't know how this works, but his very structured, like Russian military, military jacket. Yeah. Turns inside out into like a leather jacket, also
1: revealing. And I love the attention to detail in this movie. But he's wearing a Bruce Springsteen concert tour T-shirt underneath it all, and I, it's just I a want, beautiful touch.
0: I want to know whose decision that was because it is brilliant. On, so on the one hand, like I can't imagine Tom Cruise the person listening to music. <laughs> on the other hand, I can remember him being like, "Bruce Springsteen did the soundtrack to yeah. Jerry Maguire. There's yes. a musician I know. <laughs> Give me one of his shirts." <laughs>
1: Either way it happens yep. and as Ethan is walking away from the Kremlin, um he He does
0: spot a rather suspicious looking man in a very nice suit and wool coat. Yes. Walking by him with a Equally suspicious briefcase.
1: Oh, and full credit to you. When we were watching the movie last night, you were the one who first noticed we actually see this suspicious looking man. Yeah.
0: If you go back and watch the entire Kremlin um, sequence, you'll see this guy sneaking around on the edges of the frame throughout.
1: Yeah. It's actually a very – like you're not supposed to notice it, but if you were paying attention, you do. And. Good job, Billy.
0: Yeah, thank Gold star. You. I'm usually terrible at catching that stuff. I was very <laughs> proud of myself. But, well, how uh, many
1: times have you watched this movie?
0: Many, many times.
1: So it takes many, many yeah. times. <laughs>
0: okay. uh, but this is Michael Nykvist, probably best known for playing Blomkvist in the um, sw- girl, Swedish version. Girl of,
1: with the dragon tattoo, which yeah. is why in my notes I didn't even realize this, but I kept writing it down as Blomkvist.
0: Yes, when he's the actor is Nykvist. And he's playing Hendrix. Yes. But anyway... Ethan is trying to casually sneak out in his Bruce Springsteen fan disguise when all of a sudden, kaboom.
1: Yes, and it's such a great shot as well. Um, last week we talked about your fiancé being horrified about, you know, <laughs> Them destruction. Them hole in the Vatican, yeah. <laughs> I got to witness this in real time where she said, did they just blow up the Kremlin? <laughs>
0: she has a lot of respect for historical architecture
1: <laughs> It was so great yes can we also just talk about this wasn't a part of the movie but it was one of my favorite moments of last I night i want
0: to save it for when it actually
1: okay. occurred
0: in the movie because it occurred at such a dramatic point we'll, well you know what listeners will let you know i
1: actually um think we can refer to your fiance by her name because she gave me permission last yes, night that's true mary jane yes we call her MJ. Yes. So well, henceforth, when we talk about MJ, that's Billy's yes. fiance. Uh,
0: but basically, uh, Ethan is knocked unconscious. And he wakes up
1: in, a, in a, hospital. a hospital. And let's just also take a moment and say, how often have we seen Ethan sort of just defeated in this series? Like, obviously, the huge tension moment in the last movie is Ethan being tied up. But in this one, his ass is just kicked, and he doesn't know what's happened. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's true. He's, he's in a uh, much weaker position than we've often seen him.
1: Yeah. And I don't think we need to spend too much time in the hospital except to establish that there is a policeman, a Russian policeman.
0: Sidorov? Is that the character's name? Do I have that right?
1: I'll look it up, but I okay. think so. But he's a good guy. Yeah. Um, and he's just doing his job. And right now he thinks that Ethan Hunt, IMF agent, does he know he's an IMF agent?
0: Uh, he knows yes. he works for the U.S. government. He, he knows he works for the U.S. government. And this is something I want to point out right now. It is – so, okay, so there is we, – we know that Michael Nykvist, Hendrix, Cobalt, was the one who was sneaking into the IMF line. We don't know how he got on to the IMF frequency. We don't know how he knew an IMF mission was going to be going on at the same time. And I don't think that's ever explained in the movie.
1: It's not. It's a huge plot hole. We but can
0: we can surmise, but either way, it's it not doesn't explained. Doesn't
1: matter. And truthfully, I don't think I, I don't noticed care. that plot hole until no. like my fifth viewing. But
0: it's interesting because later in the movie, he will use um, an IMF mask. He'll use one of the rubber masks. So like, he seems to have some connection to IMF that seems to be dropped. Maybe because one of the writers was like hey, we've done three movies in a row where the bad guy was a turned IMF agent. Let's not yeah. do this. But what I love about this is last week <laughs> I went on a freaking 15-minute rant about like how this is the worst-run spy agency in the world. They all keep turning. This bad guy is a genius. He's like, I'm going to frame IMF. No one will have trouble believing that these guys did this.
1: You know what I love so much about that? So this was like the little haha note I made for myself. IMF is disavowed and disillusioned so often that they've come up for a name. They've come up with they have a, a whole name Protocol for, it. for
0: what happens when they eventually have to pull the plug. It's,
1: it's so old hat that they like. They were like, we need to just like make this process a little simpler. We just need a whole file folder dedicated to it. What are we going to call it? We're going to call it Ghost Protocol.
0: Yeah, I just want to be able to flip a switch and the whole thing goes away. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah, Sidorov knows the, the the frame job has been successful. Sidorov knows that. Ethan is an American spy, and... um, Sidorov
1: is trying to arrest him and bring him to justice. Tom Cruise, I'm sorry, Ethan Hunt, (laughs) manages to escape as he does, and this was actually another like really good character moment for Ethan Hunt. It's very nice. He is all of a sudden gone from his hospital bed. Sidorov freaks out, runs into the room, looks out the window, only to see Ethan Hunt shirtless. (laughs) Paralyzed in fear. Paralyzed in fear. He's not wearing shoes, um, and he's standing on the edge of the building. It
0: looks like it's maybe the fifth story of the building, contemplating jumping into a dumpster.
1: Yeah. And so he, you can see him going, I'd probably live.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And Sid just kind of pauses and he's like, not a good idea.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And Ethan makes a joke, seemed like a good idea a minute ago. Yeah, And I don't want to be a body weird person, but I do want to say, I don't think Tom Cruise's stylist was doing him any favors in this scene. He looked great in the Bruce Springsteen t-shirt. He's just like, his pants are so high. It looks like all he's got, like it looks like half of his chest is rib.
0: The pants are high. This man is an impeccable human specimen. I think he looks (laughs) weird because you've never seen a 40-year-old human look that that good. With that many layer of
1: muscles on him. I think,
0: yeah, it's, look, as a fellow shorter man, I understand (laughs) that like a shorter torso looks different when photographed. And when you add high pants to that, it's true. He looks like, a geriatric man who's been bodybuilding like (laughs) his entire life, but he looks amazing. Like he's, he's, he's in better shape than I have ever been in any point in my life or ever will be.
1: No, the only way you get like that is if you have a million dollars and time and trainers and Scientology apparently. But, um, anyway, so he escapes, uh, does a nice
0: little kind of Indiana Jones ish, um, slide down the uh, telephone wire. He's
1: lost his Bruce t-shirt, but he still has his belt and he, yep. Gets Zip away lines down, and then what is the what comes? Oh, so is it, he are steals we the, the jacket
0: next? you like so much.
1: How did I forget this? Okay, so first of all, this is the coolest leather jacket I've ever seen in my entire life. And to the person who left the coolest leather leather jacket I've seen in my entire life, just hanging casually outside where any bystander could take it, you didn't deserve that jacket in your life, Ethan did.
0: But but you're right. He then he calls into IMF and gets picked up by the actual the secretary. secretary. This is like the top boss we've seen before. He's yeah. in the back of a limo. He is played uncredited by
1: Tom Wilkinson. Tom Wilkinson who ben. I gotta
0: say I love whenever Tom Wilkinson busts out his I American know. accent. I'm gonna uh badly imitate it in just a second.
1: <laughs> Can't wait.
0: But who who is who is Wilf? Um so do we do we ever get a name for the secretary or is he just the secretary? He's
1: always just a secretary, which right. I think is good.
0: So it, they've now established a really nice running trend in this movie of we're going to get um, an older, esteemed actor who is probably too good for this to step in and be the boss in each movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like Tom Wilkinson here. He's a nice addition to the.
1: Yeah. And well, first of all, he's not evil. He genuinely. <laughs> he's a pretty good
0: guy. Yeah. He seems like maybe the best one we've seen so far. Which, which is, is kind
1: of what <laughs> makes what happens so tragic. So um, the secretary. Well, first of all, he's sitting next to Brandt. Who yes. is introduced as, he's an analyst for the CIA?
0: I He's, he's the personal analyst for the secretary. I don't okay. think he's affiliated with any um, particular branch.
1: Yeah, but there he is sitting. And um, actually, yeah, here's another really funny comic moment. Um, gets into the car. The secretary is checking with Ethan to make sure he's okay. Yeah, it's like, and, what happened? Yeah, and then he says, and this is Brant. And Brant reaches out to say hello, puts his hand out, and Ethan just looks at him and says, pen.
0: Yeah, this is this is another instance of Ethan just being a dick to everyone
1: yeah Which, and i mean so, to be
0: fair he's gone through a lot yeah but,
1: so he does a portrait on his hand they figure out who the bad guy is yes, and he
0: asks he asks brant to analyze <laughs> the pen drawing he has just put on his hand
1: and brant like correctly face identifies says, well it's a crude drawing but
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah he's like you're gonna be a dick to me fine i don't well, like your drawing
1: yeah <laughs> I would not put that on my fridge. <laughs> but,
0: but he identifies this man as Cobalt. Yes. Hendrix.
1: And um, says that he has all these delusions of grandeur involving nuclear war, and he was let go uh, from his position because he's, pause, crazy.
0: Yeah, it and it's it's like, you're not going to get any more explanation than that. You want to yep. know what this guy's motivation is? You don't need one. He nope. just wants to blow up the United States.
1: Yeah, he that you know all you need to know. And then we get a really lovely no- moment where... The secretary. Oh, I
0: love this setup so much. Where yeah. he's like, "Okay, here's what you need to know. Um, we've the president has invoked ghost protocol. <laughs> um, we've pulled the plug on IMF. We've disavowed it. It doesn't exist anymore. You and your agents are going to be assaulted. My job is now to take you directly to the airport where you will be extradited and imprisoned for acts of terrorism."
1: But hypothetically, Unless of if course, you, you manage to escape, to escape assault and,
0: me and Agent Brandt, yeah. meet up with your team in this secure location.
1: And get these supplies, which I've left for you right here.
0: Use this memory <laughs> stick and he hands it over to him. And what's great is that Ethan's like, uh-huh, yeah, yep. I get you. And Brandt is in the corner going, hey, uh, one Whoa. second. What are
1: <laughs> He's just like, What's guys, the mission? What? <laughs> And then here is the other moment where it's just like, no wonder Ethan is so damaged and no wonder he's addicted to new people because you can tell the secretary genuinely cares about Ethan. And he yeah. says to him, in so many words, Ethan, I'm sorry you're in this position. You're one of my best guys. I've always thought of you as a friend. And then a bullet is in bullet his head. Bullet right in his head. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Sidorov has showed up with like, I guess this is Russian police. Yeah. Yeah. It- I, I thought at little, first it was like Cobalt's guys. Well, it's but so no, intense it's, that it's, yeah.
1: it is overkill. And so the car flips over, uh, the secretary is dead yeah. there. The car is now in a river and, um, the car's filling up with water.
0: And Ethan, again, showing his cold streak is instantly like this guy who is a father figure to me, he's dead now. Let's use his body as a tool to escape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Straps a road flare to him and just sends him down the river.
1: <laughs> which the police shoot at and he and Brant get away.
0: And then they they actually have a nice exchange after that where Brant's yeah. like,
1: "How how did you
0: know that was going to work? Why did that work?" And Ethan goes, "Played a hunch." It did work. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? He's <laughs> like, "Shut up."
1: I will also say um the amount of dialogue that Brant already has like his character is being developed deliberately and we haven't seen this with any other of uh Ethan's IMF yeah. agents except for maybe Luther, but Luther s- stays <sighs> He gets
0: a little bit in number one about, you know, previously being disavowed. But yeah, usually it's just like Billy or uh, Zen or whoever just, you know, popping up. And it's like, all right, remember the team.
1: And like Brant had a funny line in the car too, whereas um, Ethan is (laughs) jimmying up. Well, no, Weekend at Bernie's, um, his beloved father (laughs) figure. (laughs) He says, stay here. And Brant says, where else am I (laughs) going to go? It's just... You know, that this, you know that Brandt is a smart guy who has suddenly been thrown into a situation he didn't sign up for, but he's funny. Yeah. So you like him. You do like him, regardless of who Jeremy Renner turns out to be as a human. And I don't want to dwell on this too much. I think we have to acknowledge that Jer- Jeremy Renner is problematic. Well, at do you least- want to
0: elaborate in which way? Because there are a couple of different bullet points coming to my mind.
1: So I will say right now, once again, middling film fan, yeah. I don't know enough about the Jeremy Renner situation. I just read a couple of stories where he said disappointing things, which kind of broke my heart because I loved him as this character and I loved him as Hawkeye. And I was like, oh, you're a dude bro dick.
0: And then just refused to apologize. For yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. So I will say my Talented love for Brand,
0: pianist, though? <laughs> is he? He's, he's, he, okay, he is a, weird walking contradiction of a human being so like yeah he has an extreme dude bro energy that comes out sometimes and he refuses to apologize for it he's given these interviews about how he has a side business flipping houses um i
1: did know that from
0: which he makes like more money than he does acting and he's talked about it in really weird ways but at the same time like he goes on saturday night live and like uh Uh, writes these songs about being in Mission Impossible and plays them on the piano, and it's actually very funny. (laughs) He's a...
1: (laughs) I actually, like, I'm now remembering, the reason why I know his whole house flipping situation is you and I have had a conversation about this where I watched the movie Wind River, which I thought was brilliant. Right. And Jeremy Renner plays this entirely sympathetic, fully developed, kind of heartbreaking character. And I was like, how is this beautiful Character, this fictional man played by Jeremy well, Renner.
0: You ever seen North
1: Country? That's a documentary.
0: No, I could be getting the title wrong. Charlize Theron um, and Michelle Monaghan, where they're. Uh,
1: I have seen it, but it was years ago.
0: Well, and it's interesting because because Renner plays um, an unrepentant dude, bro, up until the point where he's not, and he's actually like the one guy who is was a shred of humanity in in this field of like oppressive men it's he's a he's oh he's an interesting guy we could have a whole podcast about him <laughs> okay, I, let's, I,
1: let's put a pin in this I have
0: nothing to <laughs> add to this other than uh I'll say he has been great in so many things whether you um uh, like him as a person or not which you know f- considering we're doing an entire podcast about Tom Cruise uh, yep. to to say otherwise yep. we might label us hypocrites but here I think he is the victim of some switches in the script and yeah. ends up being the character ends up being kind of boring Brand? in I this think movie so.
1: okay we will continue talking about this okay all right so um, we've now established like who Brandt is he's yes. now along for the ride um cut to again one of my favorite just like it's not laugh out loud hilarious but while you're watching it you can't help but just be it's amused silly. and entertained it's fun. yeah so the secret spot that um, Ethan and now Brant have to get to where the remaining IMF like
0: it's the stashes. last IMF um tools, guns and computers like yeah. in the world.
1: And his the his team is going to be there so um Agent Carter and Benji will be there and it's in it's a train car yeah. on a train that is moving. <laughs> And so they have to basically, and the train is leaving the station, so they have to run alongside the train and they figure out they have to do an eye scan. And the whole time there's these poles in the way and so they have to keep dodging the poles. Yeah,
0: Ethan has to log in to get the door unlocked. (laughs) It's very funny.
1: It's hilarious. And now they do get on. Mm-hmm. And they're in this really, really cool, brightly lit secret spy yeah, lab. Yeah,
0: it's everything is like a, a really harsh, like icy blue or light gray. Like it's a it's a really yeah, it's it's an intense, cool spy lab. And basically the, the memory stick that the secretary has given him is like his last mission for IMF, which is um everything's gone to hell. The 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 movie does kind of a bad job of setting up the three things the bad guy needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically what we're going to end up learning is he needs the nuclear launch codes, which he doesn't have yet. Mm-hmm. Lea Seydoux still has them. He needs a nuclear launch device, which he stole out of the Kremlin. That was his whole mission. He wanted to steal the launch device, blow up the Kremlin and blame that on IMF. So no one would notice it was missing. Yes. And then he's going to need access to a satellite.
1: Is now a good time to we're
0: getting just, i do 10 <laughs> seconds because okay. i want to drop it at like the most intense moment because that's when it occurred okay go so the mission is in 36 hours from now uh, cobalt is going to try to buy the nuclear launch codes off of um laissaidu you need to get there you need to stop them because if you don't uh the united states is going to die in like nuclear fire Ethan gets up, he's standing, he's in this like beautiful frame, this like circular frame. It's a a really interesting shot. It's like the camera's moving towards him and he's giving like the big hero speech where he's like, here's how it is.
1: speak now if you don't want to be here. If
0: you want to leave, get off the train now because we are heading into danger and we might not make it. And at this point, (laughs) my beloved fiance is looking at the IMF logos that are all over this secret lab yep. and this is the first time in the movie where people are saying imf over and over again because yep. he's saying imf has been disavowed imf doesn't exist yep. we're all that's left of imf and she goes i'm very confused they work for the international monetary fund <laughs> <laughs> which
1: we had to pause basically the movie. <laughs>
0: broke the rest of the movie for me <laughs> So now in my head, Ethan works for the International Monetary
1: Fund, (laughs) and as has been established, sometimes I get names mixed up or I say them wrong, but I will never refer to IMF as MIF again because very
0: easy way to remember
1: (laughs) International Monetary Fund.
0: (laughs) It's still funny to me. It will never not be funny to me.
1: MJ, you're a champ. That was awesome. Yep. (laughs) All right. So, um, now tasked with their mission from the International Monetary Fund, uh, they go to, is it a straight cut to
0: They go right to Dubai. We we cut to them in like a Range Rover driving through the desert. Yeah. Um.
1: And I know there's stuff that happens before we get to like the biggest stunt maybe of all time, but. Yeah.
0: I, this is the one part of the movie where it gets talky, um, which is interesting because, just when you're at your limit for talkiness, then the biggest stunt ever happens. Yes. But basically, yeah, their, their plan is Sabine. Do I have, is, is that her name? Why can I not remember Leah Sedu's character I think I'm name?
1: starting to infect you. Um, Sab- <laughs> Sabine Moreau.
0: Sabine is going to show up at the hotel. Um, uh, Cobalt's man, Wistrom, is going to show up at the hotel. They are going to fake them out by members of IMF are going to impersonate each side. So Sabine will go into one room and meet with Benji described disguised as Wistrom. Mm-hmm. Wistrom will go into another room and meet with, um, uh, Carter disguised as Sabine. Yes. And there will be a very complicated thing where they give fake codes to Wistrom and the paper they're giving him is radioactive. So they'll be able to track him back to cobalt. Yes. Take out cobalt. That's and here's our plan. the thing.
1: Like, It's kind of a confusing plan. You might not catch it all the first time you watch it, but it doesn't matter.
0: Doesn't matter. Because if you're confused, the movie's about to be like, it doesn't matter, buddy. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Because all that really matters is the pacing in the scene and the fact that everything keeps going wrong. And it's how the team deals with every single thing that goes wrong. And so the first obstacle that's thrown to us is that they can't access the server from inside the building.
0: Right. Which they're going to need to um, change the elevator on people so they think they're going to one room, but they're going to another. Exactly. And and this is something that's kind of fun is that they're actually playing up the whole... Uh, I was about to say reality. They're, they're playing up the situation of IMF has been disavowed, so they don't have the tools they'd usually have. They can't yeah. hack stuff the way they usually would. They can't call people for help the way they usually would. So they're kind of flying blind here. So Benji is like, Oops, uh I just realized I can't hack into the server. You're going to have to go in from the outside.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> or, you know, he says, we're going to have to go in from the outside. And he goes, <laughs> we? <laughs>
1: And now let's establish where we are. We are on the 119th one hundred and nineteenth floor of the Burj Khalifa building, which is the tallest building in the world. Yeah. And, like, Ethan's going to climb it. Tom Cruise is going to climb this building.
0: And it's funny, because we get a nice bit. This isn't Ethan panicked. It's not Ethan terrified. But it's almost like Ethan annoyed and just, like, a little afraid, where he's, like, running through all these other options. He's like... What about if I just go through the air vents? And Brand's like, not enough time. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, what if I uh, scale the elevators? And he's like, not enough time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but he is scared. That's the thing. And I think yeah. this is something that we haven't really fully seen in Ethan before, where he's scared for the people that he cares about. But now it's his he's job. He's scared for
0: himself. Yeah. yeah. He's like,
1: this is seriously, guys. Please, any other option? Yeah. But.
0: I'm like, he's almost miffed that they're treating him as kind of like a machine. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, come on, you do stunts every movie. You can do this.
1: You'll be fine. Don't yeah. worry. Um. And so they conveniently happen to have these gloves with them, which Ethan will use to scale the outside of the building. And it leads to, again, just one of the best moments of dialogue in the movie. It's not one line. And this is where it's, I don't know, this movie is about the repertoire, the the relationships between the characters. And I think that's what makes it so much more accessible, more easy to love because mm-hmm. if it had just been Benji delivering a one-liner, it would have just been that. But it's the dynamic and the relationship between him and Ethan that makes it so funny. Where Ethan is saying, so, so Benji explains to Ethan that when he's wearing the gloves, these will help him stick to the building, and it's very simple. He says, when it's blue, it's like glue; Ethan goes, and when it's red, dead dead. <laughs> and then just goes on to the next thing and Ethan just looks at him in horrified shock. But, but you're absolutely right. The last
0: three movies have uh, very much been the Ethan Hunt show and he's willing to to share the spotlight here. Uh, you're, you're right. Each each member of this team gets a nice little moment in this movie uh, in ways we haven't seen in, in past movies. And, and you're right. I like it more this way.
1: Yeah. And so now we have Ethan who is scaling the outside of this building.
0: And so, to be perfectly honest with you, you could drop this scene into the worst movie ever made, and I would end up loving the movie as a whole. Because, because of this scene. Just, just seeing this is...
1: It's phenomenal and I think we should take a moment now to talk about how they actually made this happen. This is
0: this is the big centerpiece of this movie.
1: So, I don't know whose idea it was to include the film in I mean to include the tower in the film. I do know that Tom Cruise wanted to shoot something in Dubai and mm because it's Tom Cruise, I'm going to give him credit for this idea. Um, But when I think the production team was hearing about the scene for the first time, they're like, oh, I guess we'll have to build like a sound stage somewhere and figure it out. And Tom Cruise was like, no, let me talk to people. And so the building just gave them permission to take out what ended up being like 26 giant windows and I was watching some behind-the-scenes clips on YouTube this morning, and my favorite piece of uh, detail was when they were taking the movies out. I mean, sorry, when they were taking the windows out, they would put a big thing of red tape. They would box the window off, so there would be a line where if you cross the red tape you could die because you could possibly fall out of the window. There are high winds in Dubai. Like you could literally be swept away. Yeah. And so whenever you cross the red line, you always had to be wearing a harness. And I just, I I love that.
0: Yeah. And so this entire section is shot in IMAX. Mm -hmm. And if you were lucky enough to see this in theaters in IMAX, it, you feel every inch of the height of this building. It is, it is shot masterfully so, and, 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 and notoriously Tom Cruise is doing this all himself.
1: And I want to just again, take a moment to appreciate that in this moment, we, the audience are not really watching Ethan Hunt scale this building. We are watching <laughs> Tom Cruise scale yes, this building. That is
0: absolutely correct.
1: Because the marketing of this movie was brilliant and they made it clear to everyone that Tom Cruise actually did this stunt. Yeah it was a huge part of the release and it was a huge part of why they released the movie in IMAX five days prior to it being released widely because they were like, no, watch the movie in IMAX specifically for this stunt.
0: And it's just, I, I don't know. There's nothing we can say here. That's going to capture what this is like.
1: Or that hasn't already been said because it blew everyone's mind. It's just amazing.
0: I, I don't think in this series or anything, or any other, I've seen a better stunt since this.
1: I, Full stop. the moment when Ethan, um, like I'm fast forwarding a little bit in the scene, but the moment when Ethan has the fire hose and he realizes he has to make the jump. And so he's holding the fire hose and he runs to the side of the building and then like ballet leaps and, off.
0: And Michael Giacchino has been very restrained with the score up until this point. There, there, there have been like uh, original little, uh, melodies that he's been repeating. So, so it's has but he, I think he first breaks out the mission impossible theme as he goes running down the building. So good. It's, fantastic it's so good i just want to highlight one shot because i think it's one shot that makes the movie and Mm -hmm. it's just um so surprising to me that an animator like just understood or or maybe it shouldn't be surprising maybe only an animator would would, which other but but is a very tense action scene and you know for for years before this point we have been in an era of action scenes have really frantic editing right it is really short shots Bouncing around to different perspectives, da da. It's establishing a rhythm that's supposed to get you amped up as the action is going on. Mm-hmm. He takes so much time during the initial climb to go real slow. It's it's going against that trend and it pays off so well. There is one shot where it starts zoomed in pretty close on Ethan, just kind of climbing up
1: one Using window pane with
0: one glove. And then just very slowly pulls out. Yeah. And you see everything. You see like the entire Dubai skyline. And Tom Cruise, it starts with him taking up most of the frame and he just shrinks to a dot. Like to the point where you basically can't see him anymore. Yeah. It is amazing. And so when he then comes running down the building at full speed, like you just, your heart has stopped. You feel disgusting. It's uh, it's amazing.
1: You know, I... I completely agree with everything you just said. And like, we're fast forwarding through so many of the great details of this scene, like actual plot points, which make the movie that much richer. But like, I remember watching this movie for the first time and all of a sudden having a memory of when I first realized I could die as a human. <laughs> Like, it wasn't this movie. This movie
0: brought you. But it brought
1: me back to this moment of trauma where I realized one day I would die. I was 10 years old, and at that point, I didn't have any fear of heights. And every Sunday, my family would go to this public swimming pool, and my sisters and I would just run up the tower and jump off of it. And one day, for no reason that I can fathom, I suddenly realized that I could hurt myself if I fell off the tower the wrong way. And that was, that tower was a really high, it was really high from the ground and I could die. And watching that scene for the first time. And I think whenever I've stood at a high place, I'm just reminded, death is coming for me one day. (laughs) One day I will no longer be here. And as a kid, I couldn't really process that, which is why I think I buried it in my So this brain, movie but. just
0: like instantly connects you to a feeling of mortality?
1: Yeah, and I think that is what everyone kind of connects to because we've talked about this before, but Tom Cruise does his own stunts. He did this. He climbed the building. He was given the option of shooting this scene from the second or the third floor. And he said, you know what? If I fell from that floor, I might die anyway. So might as well go to the 119. I would really
0: like to challenge that science because I don't <laughs> think that's how that works. But what's interesting about that, like, yes, the appeal of these movies is like someone doing stuff where he almost dies. And yet Tom Cruise is a human being as someone who stands in direct opposition to the concept of mortality because he isn't (laughs) aging like (laughs) he's just stopped aging
1: yeah i i I don't want to keep making jokes about scientology because i don't actually know enough but we like let's also point out like tom cruise is obviously rigged up um he's not yes yes Ethan Hunt with just one glove on the side of the Burj and Khalifa. He's
0: described this as not the most difficult stunt he ever did. Mm-hmm. He's like it might have been one of the most dangerous because, like, yeah, if a if a if a cable snapped, like you're definitely dying. But he's like, as far as like work I had to do to prep, he's like, no, not really. I was pulled up by a rig and like they filmed it and then they edited out the rig. Yeah.
1: So one of my favorite behind the scenes moments that I saw this morning, um, was, uh, the scene where Tom Cruise does do that ballet leap Mm -hmm. backwards off of the building. And it's Brad Bird watching it through his little handy cam screen. And he just sort of like, giggles and looks at the person next to him (laughs) like can you believe we're doing this can you believe that this is happening yeah and I just was I was so happy watching that moment like what a feeling what a high if I'm feeling this way but just by proxy what must it have felt like to film this movie
0: you almost wish you could see what like the alternate universe version where John Woo stayed on as director of this (laughs) series (laughs) We had to go film this,
1: and Naya's is the one actually like going. No, you're idiots. I'm a master thief. I know how to break in. Yeah. Don't go outside. That's and stupid.
0: John Woo just dealing with his fear of heights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so the, so Ethan gets in. He hooks them up to the server. Now they have control of the elevators. Everything fi- is fine. He gets yeah. back,
1: but his gloves have died on him. Yes, so he can't actually climb down, which is why he takes the fire hose and
0: yes, jumps in, smacks yeah. his head real hard. We we were making a. Fairly dark joke throughout this movie last night that Ethan appears to sustain multiple concussions yes. in this movie <laughs> to the point where like he must have CTE by this point and
1: maybe that's why his character changes so much from from film.
0: Not a great joke. But no,
1: I actually thought you were going to talk about the joke I made about Jeremy Renner's butt. <laughs>
0: Where? <laughs> I didn't think that was a joke. It looked great. What are we
1: Well, it's just like I loved how this played out. So as uh Ethan prepares to swing himself into the room with um Brandt and Agent Carter, um Brant very helpfully points out that his rope isn't long enough and <laughs> Ethan yells <No> back Oh shit. <laughs> which is just great. You don't
0: you don't hear Tom Cruise swear all that much. Uh it's funny when he does it.
1: And he's stressed as he says yeah, it. He's very yeah. much like I could die, bro. And so he does his running beautiful leap and um smacks his head and has to be pulled into the room and at one point has to just climb over Jeremy Ren- Jeremy Renner's ass which is very visible through his pants, which I think we decided last night were made of titanium wool or something well, like that.
0: Well, because Carter is holding Brant's pant leg yeah, as Brant is standing out the window holding Cruz. Yeah. And, and I was like...
1: So everything is stretched.
0: <laughs> how are those pants not ripping? But yeah.
1: So now they're in the room and it almost doesn't even matter what is going on at this point with the switcheroo. Like it does, right. but like that was such a high. Except
0: that Simon Pegg is killing it in this movie because... Yeah he's been outside trying to switch all the numbers on the doors to yeah. confuse people. So he's missed all of this. He walks in just as they pulled Ethan into the window. Yeah. And he's it's like, "Whoa, guys. Oh, guys, I am amazing. You have no idea what I just did. It was really hard.
1: Such a good, and that's why I think this movie is actually a comedy. Like yeah, it's an action agree. comedy. It's so good. Full stop. So now they actually have to do the switcheroo. And And everything goes wrong. Yes.
0: So Benji, who has been dying to wear masks, who has been so excited to get to wear a mask, (laughs) the the mask mask
1: machine, machine it breaks. Yeah. (laughs) It's actually really funny. It's just the painter, whatever it is, just like it splatters. Very much
0: like what happens to my printer (laughs) when it breaks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So now they have to actually trust that Sophie has never seen um, Hendrix before. Wistrom. Sorry, Wistrom. And Ethan goes in as Wistrom where carter goes in to meet the real wistrom and the guy they weren't expecting the russian scientist who can verify whether or not the codes are real
0: yeah exactly so their whole plan was to give fake codes but wistrom has brought someone to authenticate them and so they it's have like a to smart have,
1: bad guy <laughs> they have to do this
0: every movie where they have to make a choice to give the doomsday weapon to the bad guy because it's ultimately the only way to accomplish the mission yeah which is like it's been nice to see that like Come yeah. up a few times.
1: And we, again, this is where we see the supporting IMF characters really as fully as fully realized characters. Brant doesn't want to do it. He says, no, that's insane. We can't give these codes away.
0: Which, I got to say, I'm on Brant's side on this one. Ethan's Ethan's logic is that Cobalt is going to get a nuke. Regardless. Regardless. So it's better to dose, or, or like, it's better to hit Cobalt with the trackable paper so that they can get to Cobalt and stop Cobalt. Yeah ah, yeah, that's a shitty plan yeah. right there. <laughs> just don't give him the nuke. What do you mean he's just going to get a nuke? Just I don't know.
1: Don't give him Stop one. Stop him
0: any other way. Yeah. yeah.
1: So anyways, they proceed with the plan. Um,
0: it seems like it's going pretty well until... There's, there's, a, there's a cool little spy gadget detail where Brant goes with Ethan. He has like a little camera.
1: He's got the eye contact camera. Eye thingy. contact camera.
0: So he's going to snap a picture of the codes and then it's going to get printed out of a brief... Briefcase that Carter has, so you can give it away. Anyway, Brant is not the best at life. And no. so Sabine pretty quickly clocks that he's a secret agent.
1: Yeah. And um, we have glossed over one sort of stupid detail. Like it's that she
0: works for diamonds.
1: She works I for like. diamonds. This is
0: again like this old school Cold War cartoony spy shit that I just find funny and awesome.
1: I like that too, but I was going to talk about the switcheroo with the diamonds, which is Benji's <laughs> fake arm. <laughs> Maybe that's my favorite gadget because it's not. It's just like literally a prosthetic arm. Yes. (laughs) And yet it is integral to the success of this plan. Also, where did they get the prosthetic arm from?
0: I love like, so I, I love thinking this through someone had to do this off the books, black ops mission for IMF, which is stock the train car for like this absolute apocalypse scenario where IMF has been disavowed. Ghost protocol has been enacted and like this one rogue team is going to get to use this. And this person had to think out what is everything they're going to need. So it was <laughs> like uh, machine guns, uh, the mask machine, uh, climbing like, material, fake arm, obviously. obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and then even better They had to think to pack that from the train car.
1: (laughs) Anyway, it's a good thing they did because they did end up using it to great effect. So now um, Sophie has taken the diamonds. She's getting away. And Agent Carter isn't having it.
0: No. Yeah, so big old fight ensues. I can't even remember where Ethan is at this point. He's
1: yelling at Agent Carter that they need Sophie because she's an asset, and he goes, Acknowledge. Oh, acknowledge. right.
0: So, so Wistrom is getting away with the radioactive paper, and it only mm-hmm. has a. You can only track it within half a mile, so Ethan has started an Ethan run yeah. to go after Wistrom. Meanwhile, Carter has taken it upon herself to stop Sabine. And yeah. yes, you, as, as you're saying, ends Isle, up
1: roundhouse kicking her out an open
0: <laughs> I window. Know. And. Really nice sound work here. There's a very long scream that you hear for a long time. She's like,
1: ah. Because,
0: like, they're really high up, right? Yeah.
1: And Carter, after this has happened, stands up kind of defiantly, but also a little bit sheepishly because she knows she's – done a bad thing but and, she's
0: kind of happy
1: yeah and Brant's looking at her like dude come on well, no,
0: Brant starts lecturing her it might not be here it might be a little later on but Brant eventually is going to lecture her. I'm like Brant yeah. you blew the entire mission yeah.
1: well that's in the yelly scene before but before we even get to the yelly scene oh
0: right important Brant development
1: Ethan is chasing Wistrum through a sandstorm
0: and I guess right before that we should mention when everything goes to hell and Ethan starts like going kick-ass Brant suddenly knows Kung Fu out of nowhere. Yes. And Ethan clocks this. It like, gives him like.
1: How, do, how does that guy know how like, to do that?
0: we're going to talk about this yeah. later.
1: <laughs> but right now I have to chase a guy. A sandstorm yeah. is coming. <laughs> and it's such a well shot scene. It's yeah. so cool. Um, and a little detail that I really appreciated is that when Ethan was scaling the building, he had goggles on. And right before he enters his switcheroo scene, he's like, oh, my goggles. And he puts them in his pocket.
0: You know what the goggles are? what modified are, are Oakleys. they Oakley's Yep,
1: <laughs> of course they are yeah nerd <laughs> okay so he puts on his modified Oakley's and yeah it's just a really good chase scene. I don't think we need to super dwell on it except to establish that it's not actually Hendrix
0: it's not actually Wistrom it's Hendrix damn it which makes
1: <laughs> names are which hard. is
0: like complete it makes I, it doesn't matter like I don't yeah. I don't understand why they do this other than to show you that he has access to IMF technology, but this is never going to come up again. Yeah,
1: and we see some actual IMF technology that Ethan is using, which is like a what is the game where the thing eats the dots? Pac-Man. Yeah, it's like yeah. a Pac-Man version of Uber, where he's like tracking. Right, right,
0: right. Yeah, it's a it's a cool. It, it is a cool thing where he like he can't see the other car coming, but he knows it's coming, so yeah. he like drives this car full speed, yeah, and
1: there's a crash, and it's neat. Yeah. So now we're at the yelly scene where the team is falling apart. We have a sense of who these characters are, which is why when they're fighting, it's like, it's kind of like mom and dad are fighting. You're a little upset about it.
0: Yeah. um, Ethan, like many dads, has decided he's just going to remove himself from the fight and (laughs) hang out by himself.
1: (laughs) He's just in another room over a sink going, God damn it. And he's just like thinking. He's he's
0: texting someone, Mm -hmm. which might be important later. Yes. But yes, out there, Brant is yelling at. Uh, Carter,
1: Yeah.
0: Um, saying you shouldn't have killed her. And she's like, I didn't have a choice. And she's yelling at Carter, being like, what the hell's...
1: Yeah, who gave you this authority? Yeah. And then... Ethan, as dad, comes in. <laughs> Quiet, kids. <laughs> no. He yells at Brant. Yeah. He says, yeah, who gave you the right? Who are you, Brant?
0: And then he pulls a gun on Brant to show that Brant...
1: Knows how to disarm yeah. him and defend himself. And we very quickly learn that Brant is also an agent.
0: Yeah, so Ethan storms off, and then Brant goes into a little uh He has a monologue, monologue yeah,
1: with uh, Jane and Benji, where he explains, and it's actually like, I thought it was a pretty decently, like there's a way you deliver this speech, and it's trite, and it's contrived, but I thought he did a good job.
0: Yeah, I, I think he does a great job with it. I think the misdirect here... um so, I,
1: Well, the story is we learn that Brant feels responsible for the death of an innocent woman. Yeah,
0: he tells us he was leading a team of IMF agents. Their job was to protect a couple.
1: I will also just quickly interject here and say that the mission where they're tracking and protecting a couple, it's in Croatia, which is a throwback to the first Mission Impossible, but Well, and
0: to jump ahead, like... Mm. A mole hunt that he didn't know he was in on. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But so yes, he, he, he had a mission to protect this couple. Uh, he failed the woman he believed was killed. The pieces of her body turned up later after she was kidnapped. And then, and then
1: Jane asks, and what happened to the husband? And he
0: says, I didn't see him again until two days ago when Ethan Hunt got into my car. Yeah. And when and the so secretary introduced me to, we Ethan are led hunt. to believe that Julia has been brutally murdered. Ethan, in an act of revenge, killed six Serbian nationals, and then was imprisoned imprisoned in Moscow for it. Yeah. So, spoiler alert: we're going to learn that's fake. Yeah. Um. I guess one of the things here is that, like, the misdirect a little doesn't work for me because it just it doesn't fit with the like silly tone of this movie. Well, but and here's where like, it's, it's so, a brutal story. Yeah,
1: and here's where it's so obvious that this was potentially a launching pad for Mission Impossible starring Brant. Like, you don't give this character that much of an emotional like. That much emotional damage unless you, I don't know, intend on growing him in some way so moving it's a, forward.
0: So, so we will learn later on that this was all set up by Ethan. It, it is true that Julia got kidnapped and it's true that Ethan killed six people while rescuing her. But he did rescue her, decided to set up the cover story of she died so that she could go live safely. And he chose to be arrested for those six murders so that he can go into a prison where Cobalt had a guy who we're about to learn quite soon is Bogdan yeah. um, and get close to him. So Ethan has actually been working the cobalt case for years. Yes. The thing that is interesting is that uh, you could see them working towards something where, uh, and, and this is why I'm going to get into why I'm not crazy about um, Paul Patton's character. So Carter's whole thing is she is mourning the death of her boyfriend who she failed. Sawyer. She, she thought she failed to save um, and she tries to connect with Ethan about this after she learns about his um, backstory kind of being like, Hey, aren't we the same? Like, yeah. you know, we're spies who lost people we loved because of the, our line of work. Yeah. And Ethan gives her this kind of like, yeah, it's a uh, real tough uh, Sorry about that. And then,
1: well, he, he is sympathetic. He says, you know what? I don't blame you for it. And then he's like, we can't get them back.
0: Yeah. <laughs> which is bullshit because he did, right? <laughs> yeah. Like that's, that's exactly the point. And so you could see them almost setting something up where like he was supposed to help her through this or whatever, but like all of this gets dropped away. And so there's not much else to Carter. And I I really like Paula Patton and I think she makes an awesome action movie star. And I wish there was more to her than the sad lady who doesn't at least get to, play out that sadness. And if she'd come back in later movies, you could have picked up that thread Mm. and there could have been more to work with between her and Ethan trying to sort through the complexities of being spies. And it's just, it's set up that is not paid off. And I guess it kind of bumps me out.
1: That is fair. I actually hadn't really thought about that too much. Um, Because I don't know. I like this movie just moves along so quickly Mm -hmm. that you, you, you let yourself get swept along by it. For and sure. it's Paula Patton's storyline isn't important in the grand scheme of things. Like, if Sawyer became <laughs> Agent Holloway, became like a regular character or something like that, then maybe.
0: I, I guess here's the weird thing to me. Like, I agree with you, it doesn't matter to this movie at all. And yet, bizarrely, she gets far more attention than most of the new members to the IMF team get in any other movie.
1: But I think so, that's equally spread across Brandt and across Benji.
0: Sure, sure. I, I'd I, love to
1: know whether or not they thought about bringing her back for the fifth movie.
0: I would say that Brandt at least gets closer to an emotional payoff. I don't think that's wholly successful either, but by the end of the movie he at least is in a new place mm-hmm. and has kind of moved on. Benji, I just like Benji. Yeah. He's funny. Benji's great. <laughs> I, and I feel like her setup doesn't Get the same
1: thing. Well, maybe the reason why I didn't get to the space that you are in is because she does play such a huge role in the next scene. Well, the next major scene, anyways. The scene in between is uh, a little reunion between Sergey and Bogdan.
0: Right. Yes. So, um, yeah. So Ethan shows up to meet Bogdan's cousin, who is uh, an international arms dealer. Who. Gives Ethan a piece of info.
1: Which will lead them to... The next scene. Yeah.
0: I I guess the other thing that we haven't kind of mentioned is that once he leaves, the arms dealer also calls the Russian cop. Here's the thing. The the Russian cop was in Dubai, which I think you could cut him out of this movie entirely. Yeah.
1: He's not really needed. Like, he he does sort of help tie a loose thread at the end, but he didn't need that. It was an extra layer of complication.
0: But... Anyway, yeah, you want you want to talk about the mask that he's given when he goes to meet? Uh,
1: yeah, because again, I just down. thought this was like the first movie that was really actively, explicitly calling back to the first movies in the franchise. So the guy, the blonde, big, scary dude that hands Ethan a mask is actually the same big blonde, scary dude that hands Ethan a mask in the first movie, and I actually think it's the. It same looks mask. like the
0: same mask, yeah,
1: yeah, which was just like a nice little detail. It was yeah. nice little callback. Yeah. So now we are, now we have our new mission.
0: Which is, they've they've learned that the third piece he's going to need is the satellite. So he has yeah. the codes, he has the device, he's going to need the satellite. And the only satellite he's going to be able to use is owned by a telecom billionaire in India. And they're off to India to stop uh, Cobalt from, from getting access to the satellite.
1: Um, what is the guy's name? Bridge Nath? I oh, probably butchered I, that pronunciation. I'm so sorry.
0: So... I didn't even clock his name, to be quite honest. I just uh, recognized him as uh, Anil Kapoor. And of
1: I, Bollywood fame?
0: Yes. Bollywood legend, probably best known in North America for... Um,
1: Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah.
0: And so I guess we have to talk about this scene right now.
1: Yeah. Which... You know what? It's fun. I really liked it. It's, um...
0: So i going Okay, how about this? I'm just going to describe this scene so we can get right past it. Then I'll give you... uh, Okay, so here's the scene. They go to this big fancy party. Um, Brant has some nice fun stuff to do where he's trying to disable the actual satellite in case they can't get the override codes where he gets the... He gets the wire hang scene.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so sorry, I was gonna let you finish describing no, no, no. the scene. <laughs> I, I was
0: gonna stop and let you go into that part, and then I'll talk about the the Agent Carter part.
1: Honestly, like my favorite, like this is a big elaborate scene where they like Agent Carter has to seduce the rich guy in yeah. order to get the code that will allow them to unlock the satellite. But and like there is some, I don't know if it's fun, but it's definitely um, we, we will comment upon the dynamic between her and Ethan. During that whole weird pseudo-seduction. But for me, the highlight really and truly is Brandt and Benji and how Brandt... So I
0: did have a note about this. Because (laughs) when they're on the plane to Mumbai, they have the closest thing this movie has to a heist planning scene, right? Yes, yes. And they have a really funny back and forth. It's so
1: funny. It's so good where... Benji just casually says, "Okay, and then Brant you're going to jump into this cylinder and I catch you." With and a the, magnet. Yeah. And <laughs> like floating next to them is the magnet suit that Brant will and be Benji wearing. And Benji is
0: like kind of very or Brant is very politely like, "Uh, okay, and and we're
1: You we're you, sure you blaze it's gonna by work? this, but uh you, I I jump and I catch you."
0: <laughs> and Benji's like, "Oh, you don't have to worry about the fall. You need to worry about the heat because it's going to be a million degrees." And he's like, "Oh, okay. Uh
1: so what, I'm uh, jumping into an oven.
0: He's like, Yeah, and I catch you.
1: <laughs> it's <laughs> it's great. really great. And so now, Ben, um, sorry, Brant does have to throw himself into this like
0: big turbine. It's
1: a turbine with a like wheel spinny propeller thing of death at the yeah. bottom. And he's clearly, he's like me when I'm 10 years old and I realize I could die if yes. I threw myself off of this precipice. But I didn't have Ethan Hunt yelling in my ear jump, jump. jump. jump.
0: But so, yes, Ethan and uh, Ethan is just kind of overseeing the whole mission. He's not really doing much. He's just like wearing a tuxedo. He looks really good. It was was cool. Ethan doesn't have to do the like um, James Bond spy thing of like infiltrate fancy party, except Mm -hmm. for, I guess, maybe the very first one.
1: But he's looking good. He looks great.
0: Um, Yeah. He has a weird moment with Jane Carter as he's trying to get her to seduce
1: Jane gets out of the fancy car. She obvi- she obviously looks incredible. She's wearing a beautiful dress, and Ethan kind of checks her out. He like, checks
0: her out. It's
1: like I don't think it's actually him going, man, she's hot. It's him going, yes, this works this will for, the work mission. for the mission. Yeah, yeah. And then um, when she is having trouble seducing um, the big rich guy, she, uh, Ethan comes up to her, says, "I'm playing a hunch. Don't hit me," and kisses her, and it works, and like it works for the scene,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I guess it worked overall.
0: Should we talk about um, Anil Kapoor's character for just a minute here?
1: Yeah, okay. I don't so, really want to because it's.
0: I know. Like, I just. I also don't want to blow past it because yeah. I feel like that would be
1: r- irresponsible. Really wrong. So, so, yeah.
0: so, quite, quite frankly, we should have recorded this one with MJ. Yes. Um, so all I am going to do right now is repeat her take and repeat. I take Linda Holmes' head on Avengers 2 several years ago.
1: Please Um,
0: do. So basically, here's what happens. He says, come back and see my private art collection. She follows him back. His private art collection is oversized pages from the Kama Sutra up on his wall. And he's playing kind of like a skeevy sex perv.
1: Who likes being dominated. Who
0: likes being dominated. And she's like smacking him around to get the codes. And it's weird. So... We're watching this movie, and uh, it cuts to Mumbai. And my my fiance, who is Indian, says, "Oh, this is really cool. You don't often see action movies or spy movies go to India because it's not like considered a sexy country in the way that like um, you know I- Eastern Europe or like South America is, or any of the other places where we see spies going all the time." Mm-hmm. And knowing where this movie is about to go, <laughs> I was like, "Hmm, <laughs> okay." And then this thing happens with um, Anil Kapoor, who is the only um, South Asian or, or any Asian character in this movie. And, um, you know, afterwards, MJ was like, well, it's just such a bummer because Asian men are never allowed to be um, uh, sexy characters. They're never allowed to be, like, sexually desired in film. They always have to be, like, these uber nerds, which is exactly what Kapoor is playing. Yeah, And... You know, it sucks because, like, he's very good at playing this role. He's very funny, like a real comedic talent. He's having fun with it. And kind of where I go with this is uh, I, I I I, think a lot about a take Linda Holmes had from NPR on Avengers 2. So how much do you remember about the Avengers 2 controversy around Black Widow? Remind me. So in that movie crazy of like 19 different plots I really like that movie but like it is struggling against itself and so the character beats that were like really nicely spaced out through Avengers 1 are kind of all over the place in Avengers 2 and some characters get short shrift including Black Widow whose really only defining moment in the movie is when she reveals that she was um, sterilized as part of her spy training and mm-hmm. she can't have a baby and This has haunted her all of her life, and that's why she feels comfortable being with the Hulk, because neither one of them can have babies, and so aren't they the perfect pair? Right. And uh, a lot of people were like, why did you do this to the the one female action star here that you made her entire arc be about her reproductive capability? Like, we don't see Cap worrying about his, like, sperm count, you know? (laughs) And then other people were like, well, you know, but like also why isn't she allowed? Like, shouldn't she be allowed? If this is something that's important to the character, like, is it that bad? that Like, like what's wrong with an action hero also caring about their capacity to start a family? Yeah, so, no, I
1: remember this. It was the presumption that Black Widow only became a superhero because she couldn't have kids. Right.
0: And so Linda Holmes had a take that I think is, is spot on. Um, and I urge everyone to go check out the episode of Pop Culture Happy Hour where she talks about this, where she said, the problem isn't that, or isn't necessarily, that they've done this particular thing with Black Widow, is that Black Widow is the only woman on the team. She was like, if you swap genders here, and Black Widow was a man who was concerned about his sperm count, no one would be offended because you have all these different visions of masculinity on the team. Whereas if you took any other character and made them the only female character there would still be problems like if hulk was a woman right and your only woman character was defined by not being able to control her anger right yeah like it would be just as fucked up and so i like that's kind of what i feel like is going on here like this scene would not be so offensive if the different models yeah exactly and even anywhere else in this series but we don't
1: and actually, do we get a huge blockbuster franchise that gives you those different models of, you know, non-white men until Rogue One?
0: Uh, Fast and the Furious.
1: Fast and the Furious. Uh,
0: yeah. Right?
1: Yeah, it, it is just, and I guess that's why I didn't really want to dwell on this too much because it does, it's such a bummer moment in an otherwise perfect well maybe not perfect but fantastic film pretty
0: perfect movie <laughs> where
1: the one racialized man is you know you're supposed to point and laugh at him yeah. and and what is so upsetting about that is the real life actor is actually such a hero in bollywood and doesn't he have three kids who are stars too like he's yeah, literally it's a, the,
0: it's a whole dynasty
1: yeah and in and like western hollywood i, I guess like it's joke.
0: it's weird you can imagine a world where like you had a Bollywood movie full of Indian actors and Steve Carell was the one white guy you imported into it. Like, he's a comedic actor. He's yeah. going to be Steve Carell. And the, yeah. no one needs to feel bad about Steve Carell doing what Steve Carell does. Yeah. You know, it's just like when you do it in this context without any other representation, it 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 rightfully feels out of place and bad and yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Much like I am curious to see how Les Grossman will age in 20 years from now, <laughs> I, I think this is really going to stand out as a pretty icky spot in a very, very good movie.
1: Yep. So we've acknowledged the icky spot.
0: All our takes are taken. Yeah. Let's move right on.
1: <laughs> so, so she gets
0: the codes yes. and then we're out of there.
1: And um, I will take a moment to pause and say that the next big scene that we're brought to takes place In a, it's like a, it's a multi-story elevator car parking lot. The team
0: splits up, um, because they race towards where, uh, Cobalt and Wistrom have gone, which is, um, a satellite uplink station to launch the nuke and they don't get there in time. Nuke gets launched. Carter, Brandt and Benji stay at the station to try and reconnect to the satellite while Cobalt runs away with the launch device that you need to cancel the missile. So you need to get the satellite uplink back and you need to be able to hit cancel on the briefcase he's carrying. So Ethan goes after Cobalt. So we we now have two split theaters of action.
1: Yes, and where Hendrix and... Ethan end up is I just want to point out that they actually built this set. Like it's it was very a, cool. It's it's such and they I think they started set production in one place and they were like, oh, we don't have enough room, we need to make it bigger. And so they started all over again somewhere else. And I just assumed it was a real building, yeah. another building that they sort well, of tore to shreds in Dubai.
0: Car elevators do exist, but not there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Just like what happens next is this in like a really it's, I don't know if it's a cool fight scene, because oh, let's first of all... it's
0: so cool. Well,
1: no, it's a fascinating fight scene, but let's first of all point out that Kurt um, Hendricks, played by Michael, I don't know who, Blunkfist? Nyquist? Nyquist, No, yes. Blunkfist is his, <laughs> his millennium character, character yeah. <laughs> um, he looks very fit for a man of his age, and actually maybe Tom Cruise is older than him, but they are at different yeah, fitness it's, levels. it's
0: another case of kind of like Ethan fighting... Uh, Philip Seymour Seymour Hoffman they they don't look like they're equally matched people but uh, the fight almost has a kind of interesting energy to it because like sure he's he's not Ethan's match but also as we're about to learn this guy doesn't care about dying yeah so like
1: he's actually crazy he'll
0: sort of do whatever he's like okay I'm not as good a fighter as you but like I actually don't care if you cut my arm off so like I'm just gonna be swinging wildly
1: yeah and like all credit to this actor for playing Kurt Hendricks so well because there's a moment at the end of the scene where he just moves his eyes and it's the creepiest thing ever it, like yeah. it actually gave me a nightmare
0: so why don't okay 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 so we <laughs> we <laughs> were to the interaction I want to make sure we talk about the joke in the right context so okay. let's so okay awesome thing basically the timer is counting down and Ethan and Hendricks are on like I don't know t- the twentieth floor of this car elevator, yeah. and Hendricks gets this idea where he realizes if I just fall to the bottom of this car elevator, <laughs> Ethan won't be able to reach the briefcase in time to stop it. So he grabs the briefcase, clutches it to himself, and just jumps off, yeah. which is
1: <laughs> pretty great. Yep, because <laughs> commitment like, to the plan—it's just
0: the ultimate, like "fuck you." What you going to do, move? Yep. <laughs> but Ethan responds by being like. I see you're crazy, and I up you one BMW.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is the perfect way to describe it. He gets into the car, puts on his seatbelt, puts on his seatbelts, <laughs> drives this beautiful vehicle off the ledge, and directly down crashes.
0: But the airbag goes off. Yeah, so, so he's Ethan's
1: alive. alive. His his knee is broken. There was like a really gross moment before oh, where Hendrix, kicks the knee. yeah, yeah um but he gets the briefcase open
0: he's he's crawling across the he part. gets the he, briefcase open there's like 30 seconds left
1: and he's so excited he's he such a nerd here i hand. love this so much you say it
0: mission accomplished hits the red button nothing the happens because going. the satellite hasn't been uploaded <laughs> and this on its own would be a hilarious joke they're going to call back to it later but we'll get to that yeah. but I just loved I I really felt like this was the writer's understanding this character he works so much better as this uber nerd who yeah. thinks he's an action hero <laughs> yes more so than in movie 1 where he just actually is.
1: And it's just like the reason why he says mission accomplished is because he's actually like he's so jacked up on adrenaline yes. and he's like there's a manicness in his eyes where he's just like I did it. I did it. Mission accomplished. And How then when cool it am I? <laughs> And then when it doesn't work, he's like wait, what? <laughs>
0: So we cut back to the satellite (laughs) station. And something I'm also not crazy about, early on in this fight here, uh, Carter gets shot in the stomach and then she's out for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Um, But then Brant... Gets into a little bit of a cool little fist fight.
1: I'll be honest, I watched this movie twice yesterday, and I honestly can't remember this scene. All I was focused on was... It's
0: just flying by. Yeah. yeah. But basically, he gets into a fist fight as he's trying to throw the one switch he needs to throw, and then all of a sudden, the guy he's fighting drops dead. Turns out, Benji. (laughs) Just like cold as ice shot this guy right, from like
1: yes and there we see benji as the imf agent
0: and even yeah. benji looks a little like oh my, uh, wow yeah <laughs> Brand throws the switch ethan hits the red button again yep and the missile is disarmed seconds before it's about to hit san francisco
1: and it just does a little skip hop jump in the into bay
0: the, into the into the san francisco bay yep Mission is actually accomplished. Yes. Uh, the Russian cop shows up. He's like, "Oh, Ethan, you weren't such a bad guy after we all. We were on
1: the same side the whole time." And Ethan's just sort of like nodding, like, "Yeah, I'm really tired."
0: There's <laughs> a nice little joke where the cop's like, "Hospital." Yeah. And Ethan just nods. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so now we're in Seattle, and this is the coda to yes. the movie. And we cut
0: to Ethan drinking a Dosakis, who's across the table from him,
1: Luther. There he is.
0: And for the little screen time he gets, he Luther makes shines. every second sing. Yeah. He
1: makes fun of Luther. I mean
0: This is so this is this is what makes the mission accomplished part so funny, is yes. that these guys are like all people who work together, you go for beers and like
1: You raz one another, yeah. Well, and
0: you just like you joke about like the boring shit that happened to you at work or this like, you know, the boss you hate. Yeah. And Ethan's like, I said mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> and Luther's like, You actually said it. <laughs> yeah.
1: And also, let's just point out again, the product placement was so in your face that I looked to Billy and I was like, wait, what beer is that actually? And it was the it's one that you just said, yeah. Which,
0: it a little while, okay, so if we are to believe that 49-year-old Tom Cruise uh, looks the way he looks, like-
1: He's not drinking that beer. He's not
0: drinking anything, period, let yeah. alone beer. Like, this man hasn't seen a carb in two decades. <laughs> Which bothered me a little bit. Like if it had just been lemon water. Yeah. <laughs> it
1: would have made more sense.
0: But anyway, they have a really nice exchange. It's nice to see our buddy. Yeah. The rest of the team arrives and, and Luther has just what has to be the line of the movie, which again isn't a line. It's, well, it's motion.
1: Well, he stands up and it looks like he's reaching into his pocket to and get Ethan cash says, to pay.
0: You know I got this one.
1: And then Luther pulls out his middle finger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: It's just beautiful. <laughs> Again, would work as a silent movie.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's perfect. So the team sits down, and uh Ethan gives a nice speech, the crux of which is, you're my new team.
0: Everything else on this mission went wrong except us. Yes. Which is nice.
1: Which is kind of what I I'm really proud of what I said before. They yeah. are imperfect people who worked perfectly together. Yes. <laughs> and so he says, if you want the next mission, pick up the phone.
0: Well, actually, I... <laughs> He's more direct than that. He's like, here's your next mission. Choose to accept it. (laughs) Yes, yes. Benji and Carter are like, yep, great. Presumably Carter dies on this mission. (laughs)
1: We never see her her again. again. That's it. She walks out of the franchise. Brant is uh, emotionally torn, and here is where he confesses to Ethan that he's actually responsible for the death of Ethan's wife But while this speech Is happening
0: We're seeing a water taxi Pull
1: up And we're seeing Ethan He's looking at Brant But his oh, eyes the are Michael also Michael score
0: Is swelling Again, yeah. we a little bit Of those lost feels
1: And then all of a sudden You see it's From a distance well, are, we, see a, it, we see a woman Walking sure? up the deck and,
0: and Ethan like Who really at this point Should be like Listen Brant I gotta tell you I did something yeah. terrible to you And he's <laughs> like Are you sure my wife was dead Yeah <laughs> Did you see the body
1: And like Let's take a moment here To say that In the movie That works so well, but in real life, if you had actually caused this emotional trauma, you son of a bitch! (laughs) I've been in therapy for years, this
0: whole time. I murdered Serbians, yeah. I I went back to church, I quit my job.
1: I was an analyst, Ethan. Do you know how much it sucks to be an analyst? It's so boring. But, but in the instead, movie, Brant's really like, cool about it. He's just like, oh, yes, yeah, son of a gun. <laughs> you tricked me.
0: <laughs> because sure enough, we see Julia has yeah. gotten off the water taxi with a, a buddy from work. She's yeah. she's back at a hospital.
1: Yeah. And Ethan says to Brant, you know, it wasn't your job to protect her. It was mine. Uh, yep. Yep, that's what he says.
0: Let's just let that one go. Yep. And uh,
1: Brant leaves. He takes the phone. Um, like, he chuckles while he pickles... Well, he picks it, up. good prank, bro. <laughs> I pickled you, right? I'll, I'll see so you next.
0: In. See you next week.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we get a. I guess it's a sweet moment where. So this
0: is where I was going to say Ethan's energy in this movie is a bit of a creeper because it cut. So Ethan then like kind of leans against the post and is just staring at um, Julia from like across a bar. Basically, mm-hmm. she sees him, nods, and they have a nice little smile. And, yeah, and then she walks away, and so. We, I mean, look, based on future movies, we know what the relationship is now, but we don't really understand at this point, like, are they together and only meeting up like once a year? Yeah, that's
1: something I do distinctly remember because this comes out, like, I'm always going to be a sucker for a good romance movie. And if you throw in action, this is going to be my favorite movie of all time. And so...
0: What are your top action romance movies?
1: Oh, that's like a whole other list, Okay, think
0: on that. Let's talk about that later. (laughs)
1: Um, But I was genuinely curious. I was like, wait, are they still together? Can I look forward to a sequel where they are fighting? And yeah, so like after I watched that movie, I was very invested in finding out if Julia comes back. And if I'm Mm going to get another fantastic Mission Impossible movie by Brad Bird, now also starring Julia, will this be the best movie I watch of all time? And that actually doesn't get really resolved until...
0: It's gonna take. It's gonna take a long, long time.
1: Yeah, it's not resolved until Fallout. I'll say. Yes. Yeah.
0: And even then, not particularly (laughs) satisfying. It feels satisfactory because it's been dragging on for so long that you're like, all right, it's done with. But it's anyway. We'll talk about that when we get to Fallout. But
1: you know, it's a. Wait, before we even get that, we have to say what the final shot of the movie is because I just love it so much. It's Ethan. So Julia goes away. Ethan's got his cool jacket. He's
0: bought like the American <laughs> version of the jacket like, he stole, stole in Russia. And
1: I want to know what happened to that jacket because I want it for myself. Yes. But anyway, there's fog on the pier. Ethan walks into it. And as the fog clears, Ethan's gone. Right. He ghosted. as, as he's, Ghost protocol. As he's,
0: he's just gotten his latest mission um, if you voicemail, it seems like yeah. I was like, wait a minute, it doesn't. Whatever it gives it to you, you have to explode. But. Yeah,
1: Apple products play uh, play a huge part in this movie, so maybe this particular iPhone can withstand it. I right. don't know, whatever. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, like one section of the memory card yeah. detonates inside <laughs> yeah. the iPhone. Uh, but yeah, his new mission is to go after the syndicate.
1: The syndicate, yes. How cool did I blaze that'll,
0: that'll over lead that? Into the next movie,
1: yeah. Which is the first time we see a Mission Impossible movie where there's a cliffhanger that directly leads to the next movie, right?
0: And so, let me ask you this: Does this fill in the blank? Was there a member of the syndicate who was a rogue IMF agent who was feeding Hendricks what Hendricks? Needed to complete his mission? Because this is the only thing that is not resolved. Or is it that Hendrix leaked his own thing about there being info on him in the Kremlin to American intelligence knowing that some team would come after and he was just waiting for that to happen and that's when he launched his...
1: I don't know for sure. I'd like to think it was the former idea you just put forth because that actually ties very nicely with the syndicate's whole deal, which we'll learn a lot more about in the next movie. Yeah. But um, I will also point out that the syndicate was the evil group of the TV show. Oh, nice. If the similarities continue, I don't know. I just know that there was an evil group. Oh, that's cool. That's a nice callback. Yeah. Hmm. In a movie filled with callbacks, they went all the way back to the TV show too. Nice. Yeah.
0: And then that's it. We're out, right? Yeah.
1: What a great movie. Great movie. So do we want to do a recurring question?
0: Let's do it.
1: We did again. We forgot to talk about the cocktail, and this was actually all your idea, so I'm going to throw it to you. Uh,
0: yeah, so the only thing that jumped out to me is that uh, the first chunk of this movie takes place in prison, so uh, this week we're drinking some nice prison wine, some Pruno. You uh, get a <laughs> bottle of red, you leave it out for a few days, and then you drink it.
1: A.K.A. the red wine that has been sitting on my counter for about four days. That
0: is, of course, a Tastes joke. Real Please great. don't drink wine that has gone <laughs> bad. It is not good for you.
1: The effects of which are maybe on display right now. in During this, this podcast. Podcast. But yes, that's our <laughs> cocktail,
0: which is, of course, in the proud tradition of the show, not a cocktail. Yep. So enjoy. <laughs> All
1: right. So the obvious question, which we've already kind of discussed, best gadget...
0: I, I, the, 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 there's, I, there's, no need, castle there's no need for me to change That's my it mind. It is the exploding capsule, uh, bouncy castle.
1: You know what? Um, oh, come on.
0: Like even if just, you went to a kid's birthday party and it was getting tired, like you just boom.
1: You know what? Maybe I love it for that reason where it's like, this is a thing I could rig up in real life.
0: <laughs> I, I, I mean like you could, it fits in your pocket. You can yes. imagine somebody having it in their back pocket and just exploding in a work meeting. Like it's so funny.
1: You know what? I will say, yes, that is the best gadget of the movie, but. We didn't really talk about favorite lines, but I will say my favorite moment of the movie still is what I said before, when it's Benji's face filling the screen and- The projector. Ethan's hand knocking them out of the way. It's just projector so well done. The is good.
0: It's a good one. Here's, here's the thing. The projector only works for one person if two people step into the hall. Yeah, we didn't talk about that. So I feel like that disqualifies it as best gadget. It's just yeah. not as useful to me as the Exploding Bouncy Castle.
1: Okay, fine. Exploding Bouncy Castle, backpack wins. Okay. <laughs> Um, best stunt, I think it's...
0: Uh, what do you, come on.
1: Well, why don't we break down the, the tower scene? What is your favorite moment in the tower scene? Um, Burj Khalifa. It's, it's
0: prob. it's probably him running down the wall and then doing the big jump.
1: All right. I just love him when he runs across right. the glass and then he like does his giant swan dive. Leave. Okay.
0: Yeah. I sure with the, I, I would the,
1: with the score in the background and everything, it's just it's so good.
0: I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Like, yeah. not only the best scene of this movie, the best scene of the, the best stunt of um, most movies, yeah. <laughs> and
1: like, I will say, like, when Ethan is first climbing up the side of the tower, and like that is so slowly done, but it's on purpose because the gloves are failing, like that is actually really stressful yes. to watch, yes. Like, so maybe that's the more entertaining part of it well no let me take it back like maybe that's the scariest part of the stunt if you're in the real life universe of the movie but when tom cruise is just doing his thing whipping around the burj khalifa like i just until fallout i don't think that there's another movie that had me gasping with glee like that
0: agreed a hundred percent
1: maybe there's some moments in rogue nation but yeah we'll we'll talk about that next week all right, so um, most valuable player of the IMF team, which also ties to <laughs> least valuable member.
0: Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go
1: first? I actually don't know an answer yet. Okay. Because, I'm, I'm,
0: gonna, I'm gonna well, this is the first
1: here. time we've got a team in place, which is, like, they're all fully realized characters, and they all contribute in different ways.
0: So, I think if we were just to isolate this movie and look at it on its own, who's the most valuable member? The only acceptable answer is, like Mission Impossible 1, Ethan. Mm-hmm. He does almost all the impressive shit. Frankly, you could swap other people in with the other members and it would be fine, but no one can replace Ethan because no one else could get up the Burj Khalifa.
1: Yeah.
0: However, you know how sometimes you get this with uh, the Oscars where people don't win for the movie they should win for? It. They win because, like, it's the end of their career. It's their you time, get- yeah. I think if Benji is ever to win Most Valuable Member, it has to be for this movie. He is the IT tech guy, and he is given shitty IT and tech, and he has to deal with it and make it work anyway. And he also gets a very surprising kill shot at the end of the movie. So I'm torn. The idea of not giving it to Ethan in the movie where he did the Burj Khalifa climb sounds awful, but I know if we pass up Benji... Benji's never getting it.
1: So the note that I made for myself um, about Benji in this movie is, like, obviously so many different elements came into making this, like, the best Mission Impossible movie so far. Yeah. Um, and by the way, that's my answer I, to where this look, movie ranks I mean, I don't think it's the rest any of them. surprise, yeah. But Benji is such a huge part of that. I don't think you have Ghost Protocol without Simon Pegg as Benji.
0: His energy... Is maybe the dominant energy in this movie in terms of a certain style of slapstick.
1: Because he sets the tone from the very beginning. So the opening scene is obviously the high intense chase scene where Sawyer dies. I'm just, he's Sawyer. I want him back.
0: I just want him (laughs) back. And I know he's on TV right now, but like just a a spy show starring Josh Holloway. Make it happen. Every day.
1: Me too. But when Benji comes onto the scene, we've still got like an intense thing is happening. It's amazing. And he's so funny, but, and I know I talked about this before, but when he mouths sorry to the prison guard, who's getting beat up, like I was just, his
0: convo with Ethan. No, I'm not going to open that door. Yeah. It's great.
1: (laughs) It's so good. And it is, It just sets up the rest of the movie. You're in such a good mood, and you know that you're in for a film you haven't watched before, and it's you're just delighted to be there. So I
0: agree with all this. Yeah. Are we really not going to give it to Ethan in the movie where he climbs the Burj Khalifa?
1: Yes. We are going to not give it to Ethan because, you know what? Ethan is still Ethan. Tom Cruise is still Tom Cruise, but...
0: Ethan's a bit of a dick in this one. Yeah. He's been... Like, really awful to Brant for, like, several years. I'm I'm going to go with you. I'm giving it to Benji. Yeah. It's going to Benji. It's
1: Benji. Benji is the, like, the magical it's ingredient. the heart and soul of this. Team. Yeah, he he is the heart and soul. That's the exact way to describe yeah, it. Yeah,
0: he's, he's almost like I would compare him to Hurley on Lost. Yeah. Like, he's capable of doing these amazing badass things, but more often than not, it's just, like, no, he's and- keeping everybody...
1: Exactly. And as you've just said, Benji is the heart and soul of this team. That is carried through in the next two movies. And this is where he becomes the heart and soul of the IMF. So, yes, MVP, Benji. Benji. I don't have any doubts about it anymore.
0: Least valuable player.
1: I hate to say it, but it's got to be Jane Carter, right? Of course, it's
0: Carter. And I, 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 I truly say this with no. Ill will or malice towards Paula Patton, who I think is really good and who I would like to see in an action franchise of her own because I think she acquits herself very well.
1: Yeah, that roundhouse kick, impressive. It's
0: fantastic, um, <laughs> but just like she's given nothing to do. Like, yeah, yeah,
1: like, and you sort of touched on this before, but maybe her biggest like moment to shine as a character is in like her mourning the death of her partner, which is Halloway. just... which and is just dropped. She's cut off at the knees there, yeah. so. Yeah, unfortunately, like many other women in this series, she's little more than window dressing.
0: Sorry, Agent Carter.
1: Yes. Well, awkward segue into... (laughs) um, Where's Luther sitting this week? And the answer is quite simple. At a a bar. bar, Enjoying a
0: couple of brewskis. (laughs) In Seattle,
1: which he's not going to pay for. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Hopefully hopefully Ethan put that on the company credit card. I I feel like you can expense. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. what did we think of the music, the theme throughout the film? I thought it was great.
0: Yep, I'm into it.
1: Oh my God, how did we not talk about the opening montage, the credits overlay? I Right, last week you it. established
0: that how you're ranking the music is also based yes,
1: on... Yes, <laughs> I just... It was everything I wanted, and it was so... And actually, I think this is where I was taught to expect this in Mission Impossible movies, because well, it's just, because Mission it's Mission just so
0: great. 1 does this as well, they but, do. It's, but it's really like scaled back
1: and it's not as good and you're right. And like the fact that it's agent Carter who lights the fuse that has you following the montage. Yeah. And it's like, it's big and it's bright. And do you remember seeing that on the IMAX screen? It was just so good.
0: Ballsy in terms of how much of the movie they show you,
1: but here's the thing: first time you see it, you don't know what any of it means, right. and the second time you see it, when you do know what it means, it's all highlights from your favorite yeah, parts, like, and you're like, "Oh, that's right! I, have I get to, to look, look forward, forward to, to all of this." Yeah. yeah. So I just I love the music in this movie. It was so good.
0: I give it a big thumbs up.
1: It's all great. right,
0: and and it still has all the charm I love out of Michael Giacchino, while being a little more distinct.
1: Yes. And now um, we are no longer ranking. We're no longer directors ranking human beings. I agree. That's an awful. Everyone did their thing best. Yes. Um, but how does this movie rank? Fucking
0: now? nails it, <laughs> Brad Bird. Kill this is. Think of okay. live action debut. Think about that. Who yep. has had as strong a first live action movie out of the gate? Now maybe this is unfair because he is obviously well versed in the art of narrative cinema at this point, having made other movies. But what a. What a debut. I
1: know. It's like, you know what? I'm not surprised by it. You did point out that other Pixar directors have attempted similar things to not great success. Not quite the same. But I don't know. I think Brad Bird is just... And what
0: a task he had. Like not only revitalizing a dead series, but revitalizing a dead star.
1: Yeah. And like Tom Cruise Phoenixed in this movie. Like this is the movie that like really and truly started him back on the path to mega stardom. He
0: directed the highest grossing Mission Impossible movie of the time.
1: Yeah, and I pulled this up right before you came over. It wasn't the highest grossing movie of 2011 by no. a long shot. It yeah. actually...
0: Well, we you know, by this point we've entered like a very fifth different or seventh or era something. of filmmaking.
1: Yeah, like Harry Potter is right. kicking ass, taking names of Twilight is out. <laughs> Why do you have to say it like that?
0: Is it the last Twilight?
1: Um, It's part one of the last Twilight. Oh,
0: uh, which one has the big battle?
1: The second one.
0: Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, so it's so it's interesting. I think about the, uh, we're 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 almost jumping into the quality of this movie, but but talking about director. Like, look, I think he gets the tone totally, and and very successfully shifts this the farthest anyone has done from Mission Impossible One while still making you love these characters yeah. and, and this world. And, and again,
1: I think making sure that the characters are actually developed. This is no longer the Ethan Hunt show. It is Ethan and friends.
0: And I, I, I just want to situate this. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned that this movie comes out in 2011, but I have always thought of this as a 2012 movie. 2012 was a massive year for this type of movie. Um so you have uh The Dark Knight Rises, yep. you have The Spider-Man reboot, you have The Avengers, and then the movie will end with or excuse me the year will end with um Skyfall. Yeah. I think this movie is far and away the best of any of those I've just mentioned. Yeah. Um and oh. it's
1: actually almost kind of unfair that it released in 2011 because like at this point franchises series are king. Like they are what yeah. are ruling the box office. Let me just quickly, if you will allow me to, um, read out to you the top grossing films of 2011 before sure. we get to so Mission what, Impossible. so what, be, yeah. This is according to IMDb. So we've got Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows at the top. Part followed, one or part two? Part two.
0: Okay. Followed
1: yeah. by Transformers, Dark of the Moon. Oh, <laughs> then right. we've got Twilight. Then we've got The Hangover Part 3, which... I don't even think I've finished watching that. It was so bad. No, it's Hangover Part Two. My bad. Um, And that at
0: least makes like that's a bad movie, but people were so excited from the first one.
1: Exactly. And then you've got Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, and then it's
0: after Ghostbusters. After
1: uh, sorry, so it's Hangover Part Two, then Pirates, then Fast Five, which I have to. Correct myself from last week. You're absolutely right. This is the movie where Wait a minute. Fast and Furious Wait a minute. really takes Fast off. Fast
0: Five outperformed...
1: Mission Impossible. Okay. That, yeah. that that
0: actually is not that surprising. It's just yeah. I thought it wasn't until six that it was really like putting up the huge, huge numbers. Well,
1: Fast Five is where, forgive me, they get revved up. All right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Maybe delete that joke. That was bad. Sure.
0: But, but like <laughs> I just, I think this understands big spectacle franchise filmmaking better than any of these other directors do. Yeah. And I, I, part of me wanted to say, let's take the Avengers off that curve because it almost needs to be judged as its own yeah. weird, different thing. But
1: Well, the other thing is Brad Bird is a student of Pixar, right? And Pixar is world-renowned for how they make their products. It's never, hey, you have one idea and you work on your own. It's you workshop your idea with an entire team of people until it is the best version of that idea. It is
0: extreme collaboration to a point where if you've never actually worked in that system and you're an artist, it actually sounds like it could be stifling. Yeah. But but yeah, and so it's weird because the last time I said, you know, like – you can't imagine how David Fincher and Tom Cruise would ever get along because they're two guys get what they want. Mm -hmm. Which Brad Bird is also notoriously someone who like pushes people to extremes to get what he wants. But You can see, based on that Pixar upbringing, how he could manage to merge that with the Tom Cruise-ness of it all.
1: And, like, there was a brief interview he gave um, where he said, you know, we we didn't agree all the time, you know, but sometimes he won the argument and sometimes I won the argument. Yeah. And um, he is sort of famously uh, uh, known for saying that Tom Cruise has ruined him for all other live-action movie stars because Tom Cruise (laughs) would just do what no one else would.
0: Oh, it's like... (laughs) if you if you are an animator and you come from the freedom of like, I have an image in my head, I just draw it and it's there. Yeah. To like, this is the real world. I can't make Simon Pegg's like, I don't know, leg go through a wall or whatever, you know? <laughs> Whereas like, if you said to Tom Cruise, I need you to kick through a wall, he'd be like, all right, give me a couple months. Yeah. I'm going to like, you know, go Work meet with it. some. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'll develop this skill for you. I,
0: I can't imagine what that collaboration Must be like, and to be honest with you, like I I love the next movies in these series Mm -hmm. so much, but I would love to see Brad Bird and Tom Cruise get back together.
1: Me too, and I mean, all credit to Christopher McQuarrie as well. Like he is involved in this movie; he helped the script become what it is, and I think that maybe makes the transition into Rogue Nation that much smoother. Smoother.
0: Well, yeah, you have JJ as producer, you have Christopher McQuarrie as as um, writer, so so you do have more uh, consistency. In theme and tone.
1: Yeah, exactly. But before we get to Rogue Nation, we still have to rank these movies. Yeah. So do you know your ranking?
0: 4231. That's where I'm at this week.
1: That's mine as well.
0: 4231. No, wait, no. Oh, no. <laughs> God damn it. No
1: take backs. Too late. 4213.
0: <laughs> 4213. Four, Ghost Protocol, Mission Impossible 2, Mission Impossible 1, Mission Impossible 3. That's where I'm at.
1: One is still at the bottom for me. And I'm sorry, I know it. Why are you sorry? F- I'm, I'm not. You know what? I'm not sorry yeah. at all.
0: Say it proudly.
1: <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> but I love Ghost Protocol. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, so Is, is there is, anything is that else? It? I mean, I feel like we covered it all. I I it's tough cuz this is a movie we have been talking about for many, many years. Yeah. <laughs> so I I almost had to really force myself to go back into the perspective of someone seeing this for the
1: Yeah, well, it's funny now because when I love something, I obsess over it, and um, now that love has expressed itself in the form of a podcast. But the last three movies in the um, Mission Impossible series – well, no, Ghost Nation and (laughs) – God damn it. The last – fuck. Okay, number four and number five are movies that I have watched many times because when I love something, I just – relive it as often as I can. And it becomes like a comfort thing. It's not like I'm necessarily watching the movie like with full attention from you know, scene one to closing credits, but it's on in the background. And now that I have seen uh, Ghost Protocol for maybe the 12th time mm-hmm. as of yesterday, I, it'll be interesting to watch Rogue Nation again because... You know, like watching the first three movies, like I really was basically a newcomer coming to each of these movies because my memory of it was not great. And so mm-hmm. it was like I was seeing it for the first time. But now I'm seeing Rogue Nation.
0: I'm excited for next week. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to predict this right now. I think I'm going to like Rogue Nation. I think I'm going to end up ranking it above Ghost Protocol, which is surprising to me. They've often been switched in my mind. But uh,
1: I, I, I think we'll I'm see. actually going to end up doing the same thing because as much as I love Ghost Protocol, I love Fallout the most and I think Rogue Nation is the closest to Fallout.
0: I'm trying to not let recency bias affect me uh, with my feelings on Fallout. So I'm (laughs) going to hold for there. But uh, yeah, you have that to look forward to next week and the week after. And then uh, we're going to figure out where we're going from there. But uh, I guess until then.
1: I guess the last thing we have to say is our logo design is by the incredibly talented Aaron Kosar.
0: And if you like this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends.
1: And uh, we'll see you next week.
0: Other than that, it is mission accomplished. Okay, we're recording. Sh-
1: should I? Should we say mission accomplished this week, like Ethan says it? Like mission accomplished. I don't know how you'd get the uh, stunned look afterwards, though.